So yeah, um, no, we're just safety goggles, just right? Are we rolling? Generally, okay. just yeah, try rolling. to talk we're right rolling. into the mic, and we're all good, pretty much. All right, okay. should we just should we yeah. kick this off? Uh-huh. Suggested donation. I'm Edward Minoff. And I'm Tony Surinai. We're here with Jay Brown. Braun. What else? And uh, today I have the pleasure. I've been uh, having a friend who I, I think we greatly admire. Mm-hmm. And one, I, I, in my opinion, my humble opinion, one of our great living sculptors, Mr. Brian Booth Craig is here. And Thank by you. the way, Thanks, our first sculptor, yeah. you're, this is, we're, we're losing our sculpture virginity. <laughs> exactly. We've oh been wanting God. to get this a sculptor and, and, uh, a little more work for you, Jay. And pretty much you're, you're that person. <laughs> I believe in that. <laughs> How's right. it going, Brian? Guys, huh? Nice to be no, here. Thanks for inviting me. Somebody's shaking their head. We're not going to leave that. How's it going, Brian? going well yeah. busy thanks for driving out. in from uh from uh pennsylvania correct where Poconos. Poconos. right right near the water gap delaware water gap ah what's ever... going on down there uh sculpture well, why the poconos no. um that's a long story besides like <laughs> it has to do with well, an we got plenty of time. <laughs> Beso- oh, besides yeah. heart-shaped <laughs> tubs and... Well, yeah, that was, that's talking. what, that, yeah, that, that industry is mostly gone now. Champagne. The champagne, hot, champagne tub, yeah. hot, Glass, tubs. hot tub. Yeah. I haven't experienced that yet. You're not at beautiful Mount Airy Lodge. Mount Airy no, Lodge. That's a very northeast, east That's coast. a New York. Yeah, that's a, yeah. yeah. you're not from New York, the New York area. You don't, you don't People understand are not going to understand about, what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. But they can, they can Google it. Yeah. Yeah, YouTube. Right. But you drove in from Pennsylvania, so thank you. Um, just just right off the bat, uh, just a little bit about your history. Okay, where do you want me to begin? Where'd you go At to the school? very beginning. Born? Yeah. That no, sort of thing. Where, where uh, where'd you generally, like, the kind of the art. Where does the, the art come from? The art come from. Uh, I, you know, I always knew I wanted to be an artist. I think from the time I was five years old. Five? Yeah, yeah. Were your parents I'm, artists? No. No, but I just was, I was always you know, drawing and making things, and mm-hmm. my mother recognized it when I was fairly young. Five. Yeah, uh, yeah I think I was. I was at, that's my memory. Right. It was about that age, between five and eight, somewhere in there. Where you were drawing and... and... Yeah, and then she found a local artist mm-hmm. uh, in the town that I grew up in, and uh, who was a painter, had a studio in her basement, and took me over there to take art lessons with her. So wow. I started drawing with this artist when I was... Yeah, between five, six, seven years old. That's like old yeah. school apprentice system. Kind of. I mean, I, you know, it, it's hard for me to remember exactly what kind of painter she was. I don't, <laughs> you know, it's good Sunday painter thing. I right. don't even know. I don't know her name. I can't remember any of those details. But at, but, such, but at such a young age, um, you were being exposed to something that... Oh, yes. And it sounds serious. Yes. I mean, you're in a basement learning... Yeah, yeah. No, it like, was seri- she was a serious artist. She wasn't, you know, she wasn't actually a Sunday painter. She was right. a painter. And I don't know how my mother found her. Mm-hmm. And I went there for, for a few years. And then uh, when I was about 10 years old, we moved to Switzerland for a year. And when we came back, we moved to closer to Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And then I started taking lessons at the um, uh, Carnegie Museum of Art. Carnegie. What, what yeah, which is in? where, which is what's, what city were you in originally with the with the lessons? This it was north of Pittsburgh, okay. about 
half an hour north of Pittsburgh, a town outside of the city. Um, uh, what did you just quickly? Was your mom? What was your mom's background that she knew? She to, was a teacher. Oh, so she, she was an elementary the, school teacher. She she just I have yeah I just have this distinct memory of her recognizing it, recognizing mm -hmm. it when I was very young. Um, so you I mean you can see facility in children fairly young, but th that's not a, mine. That's a, yeah, that's <laughs> but that's a strange one to recognize. I think. For most parents, because if they're not artists, they're not gonna. You know, you and I might recognize it, but somebody who's not an artist might not. I think. Mm -hmm. But my mother was a key, was a big influence in me becoming an artist. I think. Did she also it. try to expose you to, like, to seeing art? No, not really. That's the funny thing. She didn't really know a lot herself, I and mean, mm -hmm. she appreciated the arts, mm -hmm. um, but but not necessarily visual art. We would go to symphonies together or mm -hmm. you know, plays and that sort of thing when I was when I was younger, but. But not visual arts. She didn't. She wasn't conversant with with visual art, mm -hmm. but uh, but she recognized my interest. Right. And um, and uh, what I was saying was that when I got a little older, about ten years old, we started. She started taking me to lessons at the Carnegie Museum, mm -hmm. and there was a. That's actually where Andy Warhol took classes when he was a kid. Mm -hmm. He um he 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 did the same program that I did later on. It was like a Saturday program, and they had kids from all over the city going to it. And I did that for quite a while, mm -hmm. several years, and then got to high school, and you know, things went downhill in my high school <laughs> art class. You know, you know, you know, high school art class. We've heard this story before, yeah. Unfortunately, you know, <laughs> and college, to be honest. No, college was fun. I mean, yeah. college was, yeah. I mean, it's it's a learning experience. Well, where'd not, you go to college? I went to Penn State University uh -huh. um, for undergraduate school. And were so, you there for art? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, this was, was consistent. Program. You never wavered. Not that's not really true. I do think that there was a period when you know when art seemed like an impractical thing to do. It is an impractical thing to do. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I guess it is. But I've, I mean, since I've been out of school, I haven't had a job outside of the arts in my entire career. Right. I mean, I haven't done anything that you know. I didn't. So in a sense, you know, practical is a, is a relative term, right? Um, mm -hmm. I don't think human beings can live without it, so it's not impractical, right? <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's possible to live without it. Yeah, I mean, you know, we wouldn't be doing it if we didn't believe in it. Yeah, I mean, otherwise we could put people in boxes and turn off the lights and feed them under the, under the, you know, under the under door. The door. Yeah, right? That's what we do with I mean, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, that was very good. That was very good. We'll put a laugh track there. So I, I think that, that, that division between the practical and impractical is a, is a false divide. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's the way life works. Um, but, uh, yeah, there was a point in, I'd say when I was a teenager, when, you know, guidance counselors are saying, you shouldn't go into art. You'll mm -hmm. never make a living, you know, well, and this which is, is kind of true, but not you know, a great but, high school experience. No, no, I don't think that was, you know, I think that, uh, you know, whatever guidance I had at the beginning was kind of dropped right. later on. So yeah, I didn't, I didn't go to university right away to study art. Mm -hmm. I took a side, you know, I took some detours, detours along the way, but, uh, but eventually went back to it, and then that's where I got my 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 BFA. It was at mm -hmm. Penn State. So, what kind of classes were they offering at Penn State at that time? It's all I'm typical of Pretty the typical of the nineties. Yeah, school. yeah, yeah. It's It was typical. Um, the the um the chair of the sculpture department was uh, and he's still a good friend, still a friend of mine. His his uh, focus was process art. Mm -hmm. um, that's you came up through that period of the '70s, Art Povera, process art. So that was that was a big part of the education. Um, so somewhat conceptual in that yeah. regard, but but also very material based, which I think came back to help me 
later on. So they're in a, in introducing a huge way. you to like different materials to play with, and tools, materials, and processes, tools. you know, and the, and the meaning of of mark making in in material. So, so, so is that where you? Because if I remember when we had this conversation a while back, you you came into sculpture later on. Yeah, much later. It, yeah. it was like it wasn't something you were studying. Mm. Correct. I mean, do you know anyone that takes sculpture classes in high school? Mm. Not really. I, I mean, here was at the Art Students League, hammering away at a piece yeah, of limestone when I was a little kid. Yeah, but th- but you had to go to the Art Students League. Right. It wasn't you know, yeah no. something that. Well, actually, then in school, I think influenced by having done that, I was doing, doing like it. figurative sculpture and mm-hmm. clay. Right. But it was kind of a thing that I did, you know, on my own. The teachers yeah, sort of like look at me like a yeah. dog looks kind of puzzled yeah. and yeah. Just <laughs> same here. On. Yeah, same same thing. I, I did it in, when I was, you know, probably in my early teens and like Play Doh. No, yeah. with clay, but I didn't yeah. know what I was doing. I remember I firing did. it. I have a pretty cool sculpture really? actually at my house of I just did like my arm from my elbow down to my hand. Yeah, I think that's what everybody does, right? Because it's the thing you can put you down. Can see, you have yeah. one hand here, yeah. one hand here. You can look at the other one sculpt, right? I did the same thing actually. I was so uh, proud of it. I still like, have it. I have a plaster and... cast of my, the one I did when I was in. Uh, I fired mine, so I still have it too. Actually, when I was in high school, I was um, I really liked <laughs> like fun. special effects makeup stuff. Mm. So I was um, I would sculpt in clay, and then I would get like dental alginate. Mm-hmm. Oh, that stuff is awesome. Yeah, which gets like every single pore because yeah. I was like reading up on you know all these like it's what dentists use. To yeah, do all the old school like Dick Dick what? Smith dentists use even to like make the molds gore guys teeth. like Tom Savini and everything yeah, like that. Yeah. And but when you would dig into that, you would start. Uh, they would start saying their influences and it was like people doing sculpture mm, yeah like, oh you got to yeah. know how to sculpt so mm, I, yeah. I would go out and get some clay and play with that and try right to make, right right try right. to make monsters and stuff right like it's fun right i never got into that it was never i never had that kind of phase where i was like doing comic book stuff mm-hmm. or monster stuff it was always you know observation were you ever interested in that stuff or no it just didn't no not at all and all my friends were right but but um, how did you I, dodge I, that one? <laughs> I don't know. That's just I. We never we never had television when I was a kid. We didn't uh, do that. I mean, I just it's very yeah. It's a little bit hippie-ish, maybe. But, right. Uh, so you were reading yeah. while we were all watching like Gilligan's maybe. Island for the fifty thousandth time. Maybe, but I do have this Listen funny memory from right. from junior <laughs> high school where where you know I was sitting around with friends, we're drawing in his house, and they were drawing comic characters, and they they all wanted me to draw a naked woman for them. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. so I I was the that guy drawing the naked in high school. The, the yeah, this was like, like thirteen years old. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> still too young to go. <laughs> right. yeah. Yeah. Like, what's too- that? <laughs> I'm sure they were terrible. But. <laughs> Doesn't matter. But it didn't matter they, how realistic they were. So in college, the work was more concept driven. It wasn't. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But well, a concept. I mean, everything is concept driven in a sense. Right. 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 But it so, wasn't. It didn't have that like formal, like figurative. No, it wasn't representation. Right. That's right. 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 Um, I did. There was no representational. There was a, there was a figure drawing class, but there was no representational sculpture class. Mm-hmm. Um, I did some later, you know, toward the toward my senior year. I started exploring that, mm-hmm. um, and that's how I. That's when I really decided that I wanted to do f- representational, figurative sculpture. But it was late. It wasn't. It wasn't something that we did in classes. It was more. It was there was figure drawing, and that was it. And then, so did you kind of teach yourself, or did you find much, somebody? Yeah, I taught myself. Wow. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, with the with the figure modeling, I'm. I'm 90% self-taught, 99% self I don't even know. It's, I took one figure modeling class at Where? the New York Academy uh, after, after uh, undergraduate school. So what was influencing you at the time then? 
uh, when I was in undergraduate yeah. school? Boy, a lot of things. Mm -hmm. uh, um, I, I was looking at, you know, I was looking at a lot of uh, contemporary art because that's what, I, what we were talking yeah. about. Yeah. Martin Purrier and, and Andy, and, uh, Anthony Gormley, uh, Andy Goldsworthy, those artists. I mean, I'm still, I still love them. Yeah. They're still some of my favorite artists, actually. They do a lot of kind and, of conceptual, Kapoor, that's where it, like, taking stuff out of nature and making uh, designs well, and, Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so, but they're all different. I mean, they're, yeah, they're, yeah. yeah it's kind of hard to categorize them that way, yeah. all, all of those influences. And they're still influences for me, even though I don't, you know, my work is, is more mimetic, obviously. It's very mimetic compared mm -hmm. to what they do. Um, but those were those were still heavy influences then. But I was looking at everything. I wasn't um, was I've always been that way. I've been very ecumenical in my taste from the beginning. I was like that. Did it? So, what what influenced you towards figurative art? I mean, were there? I were just there think th I was really not good at abstract work. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I tried. You know, and it's it usually wasn't, the it other wasn't, way around. It wasn't because no. I think it's it's harder than people think. I mean, it's not so simple. To take to take a, a basic material and and make it visually interesting mm -hmm. and um, it, it, so I, I mean I'm, I'm, that's obviously not entirely true but uh, I think ultimately what you what what I found was that the things that I was interested in talking about or exploring were going to be best done through figurative work mm -hmm. and and I had a facility for it because I when I when I was in the figure drawing class. The one that they had at, at the at Penn State, it was just easy. It felt easy for me, mm -hmm. right? It felt simple and easy. Um, and when I did my first sculpture there, just I had another student pose for me a portrait that I did. It just seemed easy. Mm -hmm. And and then suddenly I found that that there was a language that made sense to me. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of my own interests, my own uh, conceptual way of thinking about about art making and objects and so, so forth. But it wasn't because I was rejecting any conceptual framework that they were presenting me with. I was I was all in on every experiment, yeah. you know. I, except for maybe I wasn't going to do performance art, you know. I kind of, I'm a little shy, for that, you know. But 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 I do I do I do. But um, yeah, I don't. It wasn't necessarily. Uh, it wasn't a formal rejection. It was more of a recognition than than a rejection, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and the other thing I, I would say is that a lot of those, a lot of that work that I was looking at back then that I was influenced by with those, with those artists, um, it did help me think about the nature of, um, of looking and interpreting your, your experience through material, um, because everything is observational. Mm -hmm. Like there's no, I mean, it's kind of a false divide to say observational art and non-observational art. I mean, everything has to be made through observation, right? You can't do something, you can't live life without observation. You can't make anything without observing the effect of, that you're having on the world. It's a different kind of observation, but it's all observing. It's ob observing the, 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 the materials that you're surrounded by Although and I your visual I, experience. I, I remember being in class and having a teacher say, um, Turn your back to the model, close your eyes, and draw a picture. And like, <laughs> well, why are we doing this? Yeah, yeah but that's a concept. That's, that's, that's a conceptual. But, but in a way, that's another kind of observation. I mean, there's no way around it. it. You yeah. can't get around that, that idea. And I think that's one thing that I always took with me was the fact that the materials, the materials themselves have to be married well to the subject matter you're mm -hmm. pursuing. 
yeah. your line of inquiry can't simply be a visual one. Your line of inquiry has to be always a, a material, conceptual, and visual one. Yeah. So, yeah. so when you started recognizing the idea um, that you had, you had a knack for mm. observing, and and how, how do I say it? Uh, reproducing? I don't know. Something that would be considered lifelike or realistic. Representing. Say, representational. Right. Mm-hmm. At that point, I'm assuming that you would have to then say, well, to pursue this further, to get deeper yeah. into the concept, right. means that you know something like skill and you know yeah a particular skill yeah a particular skill to, that you would have to master obtain, yeah. is the thing you need to then pursue right so is right. that what led you to go New York to the, Academy New York Academy correct yeah, so correct. how did you at that time was it just researching like okay this is what you I know, think I need to do it's, and I got to go find this now no no I mean this is the amazing thing about <laughs> the whole story to me is other than my mother taking me to some art classes when I was a child, everything else was an accident. Like, I never had a mentor telling me, you know, this is, you know, these are the places to go. Mm-hmm. I didn't know any art schools at all. When I, when I was in high school, like, I didn't know what art school was. It's like, you go to university, you know? Yeah. Um, so, the, yeah, <laughs> I never went to football yeah. games. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, you're going to the, New York? So, so, no, the New York Academy, you're asking how I found out yeah. about it. Uh, there was an article in Art News in in the like the mid, early 90s about about the New York Academy I think it was art news and one of my professors uh, at, at Penn, Penn State. State saw the article it was an older article I think I'm not really sure I don't know the exact timing but I just remember him coming into my studio and showing me the article and said you know you should maybe look into going here because um, because you, I mean you're like a natural at doing mm-hmm. this you should just explore it this is but, for a professor for a, a, another art class? Yeah, he was one of my sculpture professors. Okay, I see. Um, uh, Stephen Porter is actually Elliot Porter's son. You know, the photographer, Elliot Porter. Stephen Porter was his son. I think so. I, it sounds really familiar. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah he, was a, he was a photographer that was, became famous for his, for his color photographs in the, um, in, I guess, in the 50s, 60s. It sounds but, anyway, familiar. You've probably I, seen I've his I've seen work. A, Anyway, it was his son. Friend. He was a sculpture professor. And he saw the article and showed it to me. And, and then my other professors that I was close with, they all said, yeah, this is, this is a good choice for you. Mm-hmm. So that's how I, that's how I came, came upon it. I didn't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what other options there were, really. Yeah. Um, and then I was there for a year and, and at left. York, at the New York Academy. New York Academy. I was there for a year and then left and mm-hmm. started working um, for Audrey Flack. And, and was that a year of just figure sculpture? Like, uh, how long were well, the, like, what, what were you doing? In we that had, year? you know, it's really funny. I don't remember really learning. Anything. <laughs> 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 I don't, I can't pinpoint anything specific. Although what I do remember, there were, there were a couple of key things. I, I had a figure drawing class that, that I, that gave me some fundamental structural Ways of looking at the body, mm-hmm. an anatomy class, same thing mm-hmm. that that really helped me, like filled in the gaps. Had you had access that, to anatomy before that? No, no. Um, although, except that I, well, other than not not artistic anatomy, mm-hmm. I had taken and I was like at gross, one point I was anatomy. yeah at one point I was I was a biology major and I, I, I was I was in undergraduate school for six years. I graduated with like 180 credits. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not joking. I was there. It sounds like, like you non- bounced around a little bit in college. I, oh, I bounced around a lot. Oh, a lot. Yeah. I mean, we don't graduate with 180 credits. That's yeah. like that's two extra years. Right. 
um, 30 credits a year. So, so when, you were, you were at some point considering maybe other things with your life. Oh, most, yeah, most certainly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, most certainly I was. Um, but I never was satisfied. Everything, right. everything I, uh, everything I tried, was like, this really isn't, doesn't seem like fun. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, there was, there was no choice. I was going to be, I yeah. was going to be drawn back into it. Right. It, it never really left. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so the anatomy uh, and the drawing was helpful. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, artistic anatomy is an invention. It's an it's it's not the same as as physiological anatomy. You know, structural that kind of that kind of framework for thinking of anatomy is not the same as what a medical student learns, right? Yeah. Right. Uh, so, right, because otherwise, well, the there's a different purpose for it. Right. right? Exactly. I mean, function is entirely right. different. One is a schema for seeing, and the other one is as a schema for for. Helping people, for helping not people die. become healthy, right? right? Yeah, they're very different yeah. approaches to anatomy. Um, so I that that particular class helped me and mm -hmm. it filled in a lot of the gaps that I that had been missing in my in visual information. Mm -hmm. Helped me to invent things a little bit more. But, Does there um, continue to be a dialogue for you between drawing and sculpture? Yeah. Well, I don't. I mean. Yeah, there is. I don't know that I would say that there's a dialogue between them. I think sculpture is drawing in a sense. Mm -hmm. I think there's a, it's, it's, um, it, it, drawing is a, drawing is a graphic, is a, is a, the use of graphic symbols, mm -hmm. right, on paper. Yeah. Two-dimensional use of graphic symbols, if we just speak of it that way. Um, and so I have a fairly expansive, when you say dialogue between drawing and sculpture, it's a fairly expansive definition of what drawing is. But, um, yeah, I do still, I do think that the way I learned to draw actually had a big influence on my ability to sculpt How? immediately. Um, I thought I drew in a very linear fashion. Like when I, when I, when I first, meaning, all of my meaning very line worky. Well, no, I think in, or it, like it, linear as con, far as con, like, uh, uh, conceptually. No, not conceptually. Just the um, the uh, the way in which I framed what I saw. Oh, it was okay. it, everything was sort of there, you know. There is no line in nature, as the saying, yeah. right? It's an invention, right? A line is an is an invention. Yeah. It's an interpretation of your experience. Uh, so I thought in terms of contours mm -hmm. when my drawings all like I drew. I could I I remember in high school we would have to do this. There's one exercise. This is the one thing I remember from my high school art class that was really beneficial, and I still believe in this exercise where we were only allowed to draw with a felt tip marker mm -hmm. we couldn't use a pencil or anything else and we would have to draw the figure in one continuous line mm -hmm. um and we would do that over and over and over and that so i thought in, in very linear terms right contours maybe is a better word silhouettes yeah. maybe um not lines shapes like the shape yeah I, th shape. I thought in terms of shapes mm -hmm. and so when when you're sculpting that's what you're doing you're connecting you're always connecting uh, a multitude of silhouettes mm -hmm. if you're in that kind of sculpting at least is that how you so, work kind of are uh, like now kind of, i don't now oh. i don't i mean I'm, i i think i've i've learned so many other ways of looking and thinking about the material that i synthesize my approach in mm -hmm. in, in a much a much more organic fashion i don't have a i don't have a um a sort of step-by-step -step procedure anymore so it just it comes out of, it just comes out it just yeah. happens and yeah it happens, it happens however natural. way it yeah. happens yeah it, in fact it's funny because people sometimes will they'll come to my studio to see me the, it, people who want to see me work or whatever mm -hmm. 
people who know me, they've taken a class with me, and they're like, they say, you don't sculpt the way you teach. It's like, that's true. <laughs> because when you teach, you ha I have to break it down. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. If, they, if I taught the way I sculpted, I would just, I would. You just be like, I don't know how to they describe would, this. Exactly. Right. They would just be like, it's you're not telling me thing. anything. Well, it yeah, also yeah, sounds like maybe not, you started with more of like a procedure or an approach, and you've opened it up as you've gotten more comfortable with the material. Perhaps. I think, although. I actually, I don't know that in terms of sculpting, I don't mm -hmm. think I started with the procedural. Uh, actually, it was the opposite. I didn't know, no, because nobody taught me to right, right. do it. So I was figuring it out on my own. I was trying to understand how you see these. The, the, the tricky thing about sculpture is that it's everything that you're doing that you can see. Mm -hmm has an effect on the things you can't see. Right, right. But you can't see them. That's the frustrating yeah. thing for us painters yeah. trying to sculpt. <laughs> Precisely, because you're used to setting it up. You're used to, to con Making it work from one, yeah, the, yeah. All, those, all of those factors, right? Right. But when you're sculpting, the, it's, it's a continual, I mean, all of art making is an act of memory. In a sense, yes. Um, whether it's a whether split it's second or minutes it doesn't, fast, and it doesn't even have to be representational. Memories. It can be non-representational, yeah. and you're still it's still an act of memory, mm -hmm. right? So, but but the thing about sculpture is it requires a, a, a degree of longitudinal memory that a lot of art forms don't require, simply because you have to be balancing the thing you did a couple weeks ago with what you're, where you're going, mm -hmm. right? And where you are at the moment. Mm -hmm. And that, that I think is a frustrating thing for people. So I was figuring that out on my own. I didn't have any way of articulating it. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it wasn't, I, this is a funny story. I, um, I would get books out of the library. One of the advantages of a big university is a gigantic yeah. library. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I would just, you know, nobody was checking these books out. <laughs> <laughs> There's like <laughs> dust on them. 55,000 people and like the Michelangelo book hasn't been pulled out <laughs> from the shelf. And, you know, but couple, the football playbook days. is yeah, pretty right, well right, right. dog-eared. Uh, yeah, so I would get these books out and I would, I would study the pictures and I would look at how they, like how they would make marks in the clay. I'm talking about mas the masters, whether it was Carpo or, or Michelangelo or Bernini. Are there and I would, Michelangelo clays? Oh, yeah, there are. Really? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'd love to see that. Have you ever been to Casa Buonarroti? In, in I have. I, I only remember that like a wooden there. crucifix there that did not look like a Michelangelo. No, they have, they have, some, they have some waxes and, and, and uh, terracottas. Oh, that's that so his. cool. Yeah. And there's, and, and there's a really good book that was published in the early 70s uh, that they had at the library in, in, at Penn in State. State. And, you could, and the pictures are very good, so you could see all of the marks in the clay. That's amazing. And so I backward engineered how he made those marks, and I made this tool. I'd never seen a, model, a, figure, a modeling tool before, a sculpting tool. So I made this. I went into the metal shop, and I got the welder out, and I welded this thing. I pounded it, and... You know, put grooves in it. And, Thinking this and I, is probably something he sim used. Yeah, similar he to what he might have used, yeah. right? And then I got to New York two years later, and I went to the sculpture store, and they had the tool. I was like, <laughs> wait a second, somebody makes That's this That's the tool? best kind of confirmation. <laughs> like, you figured it out. Something, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't know what those tools looked like. Mm -hmm. Nobody was showing that stuff to me. And then I discovered, you know, some books that were written. I discovered Lanteri's book right. several years later. I and mean, this was probably three, four years after I'd been started sculpt, started doing it on my own, mm -hmm. sculpting in that fashion. So I, you know, it was interesting to read things that I had intuited, mm -hmm. yeah. right? And I, that I figured out and I'm, and it, it sounds on, on the one level, 
you can look back with regret and say, I wish somebody had shown me this when I was Instead of 15, time. right? But no, on the but other it feels, it like confirms all of your work. It also yeah. confirms to you like your sense of confidence in your ability Absolutely. to, I had the same thing with my uh, seascape paintings when mm. I found this like old 19th century book on uh, the effects of light and water, like the interaction between light and water. And it confirmed all these notes that I had right. like spent years putting together. Right. And it, I mean, it was the greatest feeling. It would have saved me years of work sitting there, but perhaps, but perhaps the other aspect of that is that you wouldn't have integrated it in the way that you did if you had, if you somebody, somebody had just told, told, just told you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a question. The discovery of having to work for it. Your own yeah. thing. it's an impossible thing to answer. You don't really know the answer. Yeah. Like if somebody had told me this years before, would I have integrated it in the same fashion, or would I have dismissed it and said, oh, "I'm going to do," you know, like a rebellious, right, right. I'm going to do it my own way, right? Yeah. So you don't really know, but I do think that there's value in in figuring some things out on your own. I mean, I the, there there is no rule. There's no right, right. way to make art. Like if there was, I wouldn't do it. Well, because also, part of what I like about art making is that I get to do whatever I want. Right. Like yeah. nobody can tell me. Well, and then you have ownership over the ideas right. that you came up with, even if they're you're getting them confirmed by right. Lantieri or right. you know, it, it's mm -hmm. still sure. like you feel like you've you've created something sure. entirely. Sure. And you, what great. you're doing is you're looking for resonances with yeah, people, yeah. right? You look at you're looking at artwork. I mean. This is why I was I was saying earlier I'm, I have a very ecumenical view of art like my taste in art because I don't I I see resonances in things that don't necessarily look like what I'm doing mm -hmm. um, and tend to look at artwork that's non-representational just as much as I look at representational yeah. work mm -hmm. because I'm always thinking that because I think the underlying the underlying search for meaning through making is something that you can find in a lot of different locations yeah. mm -hmm. right so. Uh, that I think is what is confirmed more than anything in, ter in that when you discover something that somebody else had had codified earlier, it's like oh, there's a resonance yeah. here, right? That it's not simply me groping in the dark, and that can be conceptual or procedural. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be one or the other. It can be both of those. And in fact, in some ways, the conceptual things are even more thrilling because yeah. then you see it in somebody else and you think, wow, this is. This is amazing that they're on in the same a similar line of inquiry and doing something very different from me. Right. So, um, I think the first time we ever hung out, I was um, and we had a, a pretty good conversation about this exact subject, and um, you know, me bringing up sort of old master sculptors, and you were you were bringing up names from you know just a few you know, modern age and saying how much these people influenced you and i was and i was i just remember being so surprised now in hindsight it, it makes sense but at the time sure. i was like your work is so you know specific, specific. yeah that i was right. very surprised that some right. of the names you were pulling out right that, yeah i understand that i mean I, it's the same with other people you you know people who do sure. artwork that's not representational and then they'll tell you they like something that doesn't have anything to do with what they're doing yeah. mm -hmm. i mean why that's not really that surprising i mean i like literature i like music I, don't, yeah. I can't play music to save my life right and if you asked me to write a book it would probably take me you know 15 20 years right <laughs> but that what mean a that, book yeah <laughs> well maybe not in my case i'm a slow writer uh, anyway you, you get the point the yeah, point yeah. isn't that the point isn't that we tend to we tend to segregate things into categories and genres and think that oh if that person is pursuing this particular 
interest that they're therefore cutting themselves off from other things. And I don't think that way. I think what, in the beginning, a lot of people. Do oh yeah, that I agree. In the yeah. arts, and I as agree, soon yeah. as you become, I think this is like one of the the calling cards of a more mature artist is that you start realizing that you're pulling from everything. True. I know that True. for people True. I admire, my own work is mm. whether I'm. You know, and it's not like I'm waiting around for inspiration. Oh, that, sure. the typical inspiration. Oh, I saw this beautiful sunset, and it inspired me to go into my right. studio. I mean, inspiration comes from some really random, completely non-artistic. Oh, sure, times. sure, sure. And I think you're. I do think you're right. I think when you're younger, and it's a natural thing to, to yeah. sort of to to try on a bunch of different masks and then pick one and say, you know, I'm, I'm gonna just going to stick this. with this for mm -hmm. a while. Right. Or until you drain while, it, you just and then, think that this right. is the way. Right. And you start realizing there's so many different things. Sure. Sure. And I went through my Michelangelo phase where it was all, you know, that's it, Michelangelo. And then I realized, wait, that's, you know, I can't, I can't make Michelangelo sculpt. It doesn't, it's not a contemporary language, yeah. A. And B, why would you want to remake somebody else's sculpture? It doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, he already did it pretty damn good the first time. Like, why do you want to do it again? I can do and, it better. I'm pretty sure. I'm just saying. But, you know, and, but what we like, and here's the thing, what we like about him is, or any, any of the masters, whether contemporary or, or ancient and in between, is not that they had just had facility because lots of people exhibit facility. What, there's something unique that comes through the work that we are attached to. Mm -hmm. So when you dig it down, when you dig down through it, you know, what Michelangelo did is is unique to him, not just in his technical procedure, but but the personality, the psychological inferences that he's making through form, right? Okay. So, I so mean, that's, I think that's especially nowadays why um, why he's still so famous is, and that's one sure. of the first things. I mean, obviously, technically, he is the virtuoso of virtuosos, sure. but he's pretty unparalleled. Yeah, isn't he? oh, I would I would agree. I mean, I do think that. On, on a lot of different levels. Right. I, I do agree. I think that there's, it, first of all, in terms of just draftsmen, I don't think you could be better. No. I don't yeah. think it's possible. Yeah. The Libyan Sybil, I mean, that, that's just like a perfect drawing. Yeah. Oh, you can't, yeah, you can't. If you, if you ask people to go and try to copy that drawing, it would take them years just to, just to be able to imitate the, the perfect strokes i would like to spend years i could if that. i could stop time for 10 years and just do that i yeah. think that would be a worthwhile if i could own it actually, is at the mat if yeah, i could yeah. own that owns it i know but do they don't let you copy it anymore because yeah, it know. got it's exposed to too much too light, much light. Oh, yeah too many no. people were taking it out i remember but you can go and see it i, oh, yeah, I have seen it. it held yeah. it in my hands yeah me too i remember you and i <laughs> that's the one and they put it up on the wall once yeah yeah and there's a drawing God. on the reverse it's like as well. Not that mm -hmm. big. It's actually no. It's quite, quite small. small. Yeah, it's quite small. Yeah. It makes you realize that they that they they had materials that we don't really we don't that have. red chalk. Yeah, that yeah. red chalk. I mean, we don't know. But anyway, back to back to the the, the singular nature of Michelangelo. I do think that you're. I think you're right. I, it's not just the the virtuosity with the medium of carving right. or you know, drawing or his use of color and the frescoes, whatever. It's it's the depth of everything that he did. Yeah. You know, and he was passionate and like angry and, and, yeah. and just everything. It seems like if Charlton Heston he was, is to be believed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, but see, I don't think it's just everybody has passion. I think it's a, it's also an intellectual thing. Sure. You know, he was, ex he was, he was he exposed was, to a lot when he was a kid. Right. You know, at the, right. Uh, and the throughout his lifetime. I mean, yeah, think about what he went. Yeah. Think about the, what he went through from, from that, from the early days of, of, his of his experience his education through the reformation 
the Counter Reformation. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that's that's a lifespan that's fairly remarkable. I mean, yeah. there there just aren't too many people who have who have circumstances coincide and yeah. collide in that way. Um, Zelig, <laughs> right, right, right. They're bounced from one to the other. So yeah, he's he's. But there are lots of people that have sort of singular right, experience. like Picasso. You know, who's making art from the time that he's five until he's ninety. Yeah, I mean, he never took a day off. I mean, I, it's mind-boggling that somebody could make that much stuff. Did you go to that sculpture exhibit at the yeah, at MoMA? Great. You Fantastic. loved it. Oh yeah. my god, I loved it. Yeah, it was it was both depressing and inspiring at the same time. <laughs> you know, on the what one was hand, depressing you're like, and what was inspiring? You just look at it. Well, ins- inspiring dep- was the work and the oh, yeah, yeah. the no, range of the work and right. how much yeah. he managed yeah. to get done right his right. prolific that's also the depressing part you're like oh, i'm never going to i'm never <laughs> yeah. going to be able to do this much work um but ultimately it's inspiring i don't i yeah. actually don't i had another friend who wrote to me after and he said oh i just don't want to sculpt anymore it's like, <laughs> it's like no i felt the opposite i yeah. felt pretty inspired he inspires me you know, just the, his that's what it is more than anything is his vast curiosity. Yeah. If you looked at the range of the work within that show, it was remarkable from 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 little tiny cardboard constructions to things mm-hmm. in bronze and you know assemblages of different materials. Right. And, you just see his mind like the wheels turning constantly yep. and just yeah. always kind of turning everything over and turning right. and yeah. Right. And that's that's I think that's another example of somebody who's somewhat singular in, 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 in art history just because I mean, a lot of that has to do with opportunity and chance and um, and ability of course and and focus. Um, you know, and he was he was fortunate. He was a he was a celebrity by the time he was, you know, thirty. Yeah, mm-hmm. he was right? pretty young when yeah, he was, he was yeah. pretty young. So when he became Picasso. Right, yeah. precisely. Pablo's precisely. hit it big, boys. <laughs> right, right, right. But anyway, uh, so so there are examples like that. I don't know how we got off on that tangent, but um, Michelangelo. but Michelangelo, yeah. So I went through that phase of you know being influenced by Michelangelo. But you're right. You get you, when you're younger, you you adhere to things and right. really tightly because you're trying to you want to be them. But then you realize you're not them, and you start to break off, and you attach you adhere to other things, and you right. start to realize that. But do you still carry that with you. I mean, you always sure. carry that love of Michelangelo and that desire oh, sure. to sure. like sure. be able to do that incredible like sure modeling. But or, then there are other artists that I don't have. You know, that there are other artists that I was that I liked when I was you know eighteen that I look at now and I'm like, oh, I who? I mean, besides I'm Tony, gonna, I'm not going to call out any names. I'm not going to. No, some of them are living, so I don't want to. Oh. What about uh, dead artists? Yeah, um, I don't. There was there there were none. Canova. I'm, I've never been a big Canova fan. Although the, the the funny thing with Canova is the opposite. I really didn't like Canova at all when I was younger. He seems polarizing. And, yeah, he is polarizing. I've come to appreciate aspects of Canova mm-hmm. as I've gotten older, but he'll never be my favorite artist because I think it's it's kind of it's very impersonal and cold. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting because that, well, you're talking about the Picasso show, and at the same time as the Picasso show is the Sargent show. Right at the Met. At the Met, so they were at the, they were on at the oh, same they, time. Over, Although yeah. the Picasso show extended Extend, yeah. beyond that, but um, and they're very different, right? Yeah, they're very. It's interesting because Sargent is very is very virtuosic, right? And you, what you appreciate about him is is his pure mastery of a particular technique. But there's so little of him in it. I actually right. felt and the opposite in that show because they were all portraits of people he knew, he and I knew. felt like there was that connection to a I lot of those, whereas yeah, often in that. his paintings, I get exactly what you're saying, but 
that show really turned me around on Sargent because I felt like there was a personal connection. Like, they're just that's interesting because I had the opposite feeling. Oh, it's funny. Yeah, where I felt like maybe it's just that his society is in my society. Right? <laughs> you know, well, that's, really, I mean, I roll like Sargent, so <laughs> <laughs> no. But he, he also he. I mean, they're equally prolific. Him and Picasso. Oh yeah, absolutely. Just, right, right. But it. But to me, it was striking the diff- the, I felt like there was a striking difference. Everything with Picasso is personal in that show. Because right. this is, I guess, uh, let's. Here's what I let me explain a little bit further mm-hmm. why I because I saw them at the same time. Right. All, most of the show, most of the stuff in the Picasso show was personal. People didn't. He didn't even exhibit that stuff. Yeah. Right. It was all done for himself. That's what I mean by personal. But I think a lot he, of that uh, in the Sargent show was the same thing. You know, they were friend. You know, Antonio Mancini. You know, yeah. he's just painting his friend or Rodin. He's just painting. There were you know, a lot of commissions, though. There were a lot of like society right. commissions and so forth. So there were some they, of the yeah, yeah. It was mixed in, but then there were a lot of like sketchy paintings well, little, that clearly those he was little just, ones. Yes, I and agree. some yeah. of the watercolors yeah, like watercolors they're just things that very he, much for himself. Yeah, but he but he seems like a closed book to me. Like when I think about him, I always think of. I mean, they were getting. I off think it's on a easy tangent. to see him yeah. that way, but I, yeah. I, that show really did turn me around. Yeah, I always wonder. Like, I wonder. Like, his like so much is hidden. Like Michelangelo, it's all. It's like there. You feel it. <laughs> yeah. and like his tent. He left it all out on right, the field. The, the whatever psychological disturbance he had, and whatever tensions he had between his his religious beliefs and his sexuality, and right, all of those things. His 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 devotion to the Catholic Church and his doubts about it. Right, right. right. All yeah. of that stuff is there. It's tense. It's in there. That tension's in there. Yeah. And Sargent's like, I, like, he didn't even seem like a sexual being at all. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so anyway, that's just yeah. my, that's my take on it. But um, again, what, where were we going with this? <laughs> we're just talking, we were talking about influences and, and so forth. Yeah. Um, I was going to throw but, Bernini your way and, and like thoughts because, oh, we were talking well, about... Yeah. Um, some of the stuff. One of the questions I actually did want to ask before, because when we were talking about um, Michelangelo, w- the people like pre-Renaissance mm-hmm. sculptors, you know, the Greeks, right. the ancient Greeks, and earlier, right? Or is that something that you were checking out? Oh yeah, well? yeah, for sure, for sure. I, and, but in it, a very a lot of it. I, sorry to interrupt, but like a lot of it, there aren't necessarily names attached. To some of these, well, some, no, Lysippus, some are, Phidias, but there's some that yeah. a lot that aren't, and they're just like some random, very old mm, thing. No, a lot of the names. I mean, the, the famous pieces we know. The famous. We know who designed the originals. We don't have necessarily. We don't have the originals. Mm-hmm. In fact, we have almost none yeah. of the originals. But I mean, maybe have a half dozen. If if thank that. God for those Roman copiers. <laughs> well, yes and no. I mean, it's. It, it, yeah, that's true in, in a certain sense, but they were the reason why they were melted down too. So yeah, it's a yeah. little bit of, right. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a trait, right. Because if they had, it, yeah, you can say, well, if they hadn't copied them, we wouldn't have anything, yeah. but that was the reason they were copying so that they could melt them down. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, they, uh, those are all influences, but yeah. I mean, you can really see a connection between that sort of that 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 aspect of classicism with with the the work that I lo- the things that I liked about Antony Gormley, who does all you know self body or at that time at least when I was looking at him doing self body casts. Mm-hmm. There's a very serene um, totemic quality to them. Was so he, was he actually just casting his body or was he sculpting it? No, no, it's casting and then oh, and so then he making, was just like making a, a making a molds and then uh-huh. doing like lead lead sheeting over them. And Did you ever play with body casting? I I mean. Only as a, only as a way of reference to right. learn. I never did it as a 
as a subject matter. Right. Right. Um, Wasn't Carpo accused of body casting? They've been doing that since the ancient Greeks. Oh yeah. It was Lysippus's brother who invented it, actually. Oh right. Really? A way for doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so that's been going on for thousands. It's dangerous of years. though. Can't you like burn yourself or, well, or if you kill yourself? yourself in, like <laughs> six inches of plaster. Yeah, you could. <laughs> but you know, you have to. You have to don't be, try that at yeah, home, kids. Yeah, don't try the that. The antique at home. Iron Man um, costume. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, all of those things were thing. I I I really mean it. I looked at a lo- I looked at a lot of things, and I, and I think the, the the thing about the Greeks is that they're they're largely misunderstood because our most people's understanding of the high classical period is filtered through the the neoclassical the neoclassic. and the Renaissance interpretation, mm-hmm. and they never saw right. any original ones. All they saw were copies. They never saw any bronzes. Right. Those weren't discovered until the nineteenth and twentieth century. So they were never seeing the originals. Like they would have been shocked if they saw the things that were dug up out of Pompeii, you know, with the glass eyes and the, right. you know, the wouldn't they also, much more. Wouldn't they also paint? Oh, they were painted. They were like they. There was color. They were. They weren't just like white. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. They were painted. They had glass eyes. They, they were trying to make them. Look they're stark. Very they were lo- realistic and right, creepy. right, <laughs> right. And that's what I. That's what I think is fascinating about them. They're mm-hmm. they're so. They're so full of life. If you see the, you know, see some of the the bronzes that have, that have survived mm-hmm. at the bottom of the sea. Yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness for shipwrecks. That's right. what we should be thankful for. <laughs> Not the Romans. <laughs> Poseidon, we should be thanking. <laughs> but yeah, I, so I looked at all of that. Um, and you were going to say something about Bernini. That's where you were yeah. going with it. Yeah. The, well, the Greek. Mm-hmm. The, here's the thing. I think the. It's what it comes down to. I think when this is the hard thing when you're young, when you're learning to make art, what you're influenced by is oftentimes the form and the sort of the the veneer of emotion that's right under the surf. That's right there, right? It's it's sort of contained within that form. And they and whatever whatever deeper cycle yeah. deeper interpretations there might be within within something are take time to discover. So you look at Michelangelo and you say, oh, I like the muscles, you know, yeah. I like the movement, I like real. the, right? Yeah. Without really fully understanding the context in which all of that exists and the language of it mm-hmm. and what, it, what it's saying. Um, it's, like, it's like hearing, a, it's like hearing a, a, a song, the melody is really, it moves you and you don't know what they're saying yeah. because it's another language. It's, and then you hear the words, you think, oh, oh yeah, that has a lot more meaning to it than, or hearing the rhythm of a, of a poem in another language mm-hmm. and then having it interpreted for you. It's get, you know, getting those deeper understandings is what I think takes time. Well, a lot so, of it is then, to use your example, is to um, start living a life and then all of a sudden... Mm-hmm you have an experience and then mm-hmm. that song talks about something very similar that you felt and all of a sudden that song that you liked that had beautiful mm. true you know melody in it all of a sudden the lyrics and then everything makes so much more sense and the song's so much better so yeah i think that's true but i think it's it also life experiences actually really um, i agree but i think it's also i think it's also just understanding the medium of expression the language itself yeah. so so th- and this is why i, I always encourage you know, I would always encourage people who are starting out and, and have picked a particular. We're talking about choosing something that you really like and adhering to it when you're when you're young and then growing from that. I think it's really important to be open minded about about things that you don't understand. You know, just because the language isn't something that you get yeah, doesn't mean you should dismiss it. I mean, that doesn't mean that there isn't a lot of bullshit out there. Yeah. There is, but but it can be in any language. <laughs> sure, people can say shit in any language. Yeah. And just because it's representational doesn't mean that they're not saying shit. Yeah. 
Oh, right? yeah. So, and it, just because it, it isn't representational doesn't mean that they're not saying something really important and interesting and, and deeper than you're capable of understanding because you haven't interpreted that language yet. So I get, what I'm getting to is in talking about these influences that, is that I, I think because of my education in undergraduate school, I had a professor who was very open about what I was interested in. He always gave it credence. Like he was never... I didn't have that art school experience that everybody talks about. They're like, oh, you, you know, can't oh, do you that know, or... no. They, he was never like that. He was always because he knew I was, I was, I, I was all in, right? He knew mm. I was, in, I was intelligent enough to be doing if I was pursuing it. That there must be something to it. So because I was willing to listen to what he was saying, which is not using a representational language in art making, and he was willing to like let me pursue what I was interested in it made me much more open to those artistic experiences. Yeah. And, I, and I think that's helped me over the years. And his influence is pretty dramatic, not at all in, in, a, in a formal way, but in, an, you know, in terms of my intellectual development. I think that was very important. Are you still in touch with like, him? Yes, I am. Yeah. Cool. I haven't talked to him in a little while, but, uh, but yeah, I am in touch with him. He's so coming to your show? The I don't know. I, I, yeah, I will. I'll send him to it. But yeah. I, and it, what you said it actually is the is the big thing. I need to tell him about the the upcoming show because I haven't I haven't talked to him in a little while. Let's, mm-hmm. let's give him a shout out. What's his name? Tom McGovern. He's he's now at uh, now I sh- I think he oh, maybe I shouldn't say where he is because I don't know if he's still the he was the chair yeah. of the art department at just um, Google University it. of West Kentucky. Yeah, <laughs> Tom, Tom McGovern, great guy. But I think I, love, I, I just I love him to death. You know, to jump on what you were saying, and I say this to my own students a lot, is it's the idea of staying curious. Oh, I agree. And I think that, but let's be honest, it's a really, it's something that's difficult to cultivate, right? Of course. Because as soon as you start getting good at something, then, then you, you start to realize. it's like distractions. <laughs> right. Because you can't, you, you, you have to, you have to get good at anything, yeah, whatever it might so be. Much. You have to really immerse yourself. Yeah. You do have to immerse yourself in, and exclude a lot of other things. Um, but it doesn't I don't mean think, exclude. Doesn't mean reject. I agree. I totally agree. That's exactly the point. You don't have to. You don't have to segment your life that way. Right. Um, and I would encourage people to to actually look at things that aren't what they look, are doing, and that'll. I think it'll go a long way. I'd love <laughs> to talk about your process. Yeah. Because I don't okay. know if let's talk people, about bronze splinters. Yeah. I don't know if <laughs> yeah, people <laughs> realize how difficult and how time consuming right. it is to right. do what you do. Right. Yeah. That's. Of, of all the aspects of what I do, that was the thing I think at early on was the most discouraging, was the, the realization that, that the thing that I was most interested in pursuing artistically was also extremely difficult to, to become proficient at, A, and B, very expensive. Yeah. Um, What's expensive so, about it for painters who don't sculpt? It's mostly labor. I mean, it's not the material. Everybody thinks, oh, bronze. You know, it's it's not gold. What's well, no, pretty expensive? Yeah. Bronze. Big... No, the material's not that expensive. On a a two, a two hundred, uh, if you have a say a light, half half life size bronze, mm-hmm. okay. Uh, so it's, let's say fifty pounds of bronze. You're talking about two hundred dollars worth of materials. Oh, really? Bronze. Really? Yeah, it's not that expensive. So, but the, it's the, the actual, labor. Well, it Parts depends, and labor. Now, obviously, this is depending on the price of copper. Price of copper goes up or down, right? So oh, yeah. yeah. It could go up to you know that it could be anywhere from two to three hundred dollars for something that scale. Mm-hmm. Just the just the raw material. Right. The, I don't know if you remember about uh, eight six or eight years ago there was this story about this um, uh, whose sculpture was it that was stolen in London? 
Henry Moore. It was a Henry Moore. Do you remember this story? No. There was this, there was this gigantic Henry Moore sculpture that was worth a couple million dollars, right? Mm -hmm. Huge, uh, in this park. And some people saw one day there was these, there were these workers. They thought they were cleaning the sculpture, and the next day it was gone. <laughs> they took it. They took to, well, for the copper. They like took to it. Mil- this is when the I don't even remember the price of copper was really high. This was about somebody took my gutter that year. Yeah, there were people were copper ste- gutters. Yeah. yeah, yeah, people were stealing. What year was this? It was Brooklyn. This must have been like two. Th- 2008? Yeah, like yeah, right around the time I, that fire in Greenpoint are people trying to get copper wire. Yeah. <laughs> but people were stealing Nuts. manhole cover. It wasn't yeah. just copper. It was steel. It was everything. All kinds of metals, right? It was but like the building the boom really in high. China. How big was that so, sculpture? It was monumental. And they, they estimated that the, the, the amount of and it was it was very very large, and they what they did was they think that they they just had a like a portable plasma cutter, and they just cut it up really fast, and threw it in the back of a truck. And of course, there's no way to trace it. Yeah. And you melt it down, and it's gone. Yeah. And that it's thief's gone. name was David Copperfield. <laughs> <laughs> We're all shaking our heads. Nice copper. That's so sad. Um, yeah, like did that you, one? you Google it? Yeah, I you Google it. We should be posting I, stuff like that. Anyway, yeah, but the, that. here's the here's the interesting. Oh, back to what we're talking about: the price of copper. Yeah, I don't remember the de- the the numbers. People can look it up. But the actual they they estimated the amount of the pri- the price for the copper that they got. It was about thirty thousand dollars worth of copper or bronze, right? Right. But the piece to reproduce it would have been about five hundred thousand dollars, and that's because it's labor. mostly labor. That's yeah, right. it's mostly labor. It's yeah. So so the cost is really the tools. The labor, and there is obviously a material cost. You know, yeah. a couple hundred dollars isn't you know something to sneeze at. Right. And if you get to life size, you're talking you know you're talking about you know a couple thousand dollars. But still, the, it's mostly labor. So what's so laborious about it? Like what what's the process? What yeah? What is the process? Let's get what into is, it. So, so let's hear how the sausages are made. Process. Well, okay, let's do. Well, we do you want to know my sculpting process or the just the technical process of bronze? Of bron- Your sculpting the whole process. Thing. Yeah. The whole thing. We're going to ask start, you that because they're, we'll they're really the two different things, yeah. right? Okay. The, so let's start with sculpting. But we're so my my own my own artistic process. Process, right. right? Um, okay. So that, that, now this is something that I ne- even though I'm going to talk about it, mm-hmm. it's this is something I would never want to nail down. Just the, what you were saying about yeah. curiosity. This is where I am right now with my with my. We're um, not holding you my to sculpture. it. Well, I don't. You can hold me to it, but but I might change. You know, uh, <laughs> uh, and and I think I hopefully I will. Hopefully things will adapt as you know, 20, 30 years. I'll be doing something slightly different. And so my, my process right now is, and I work from life. Uh, you guys probably already know that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always, I think that working from life is essential to my, to my process. Uh, go ahead. You were going to ask a question. Well, when you work from life, I mean, my experience sculpting is very different from my experience painting where painting, I'm working more directly from life. Although increasingly I'm working more without the model, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I found that particularly in sculpture, and maybe that actually led me to work without a model a little bit more when I'm painting, but when I'm sculpting, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of work that gets done without the model. So the model time is like a third of the time I'm spending, if that. Yeah, correct. That's, I would say that's true for me as well. Mm -hmm. I, um, but for me, the essential part of the, of working with the model is the beginning. It's more about the character of the model. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't, I, it's, this is really important. I don't, I, I don't have any preconceived ideas when I use a model. I, in fact, I, I prefer to use models who have never 
model for artists before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now that I mean, there are exceptions to that, but generally speaking, I prefer to have people who have never modeled at all and don't know what the heck they're doing. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, What's the appeal of that to you? It it's open ended on both sides. So I don't because there are a lot of artistic tr- there are tropes. And there are there are you know contrapposto or they're used to like holding it you know mm-hmm. right? right everybody has them and if you and people who people who've done a lot of modeling in schools I mean they're good they're yeah. good for that because mm-hmm. that, because that's exactly what you want yeah. right? right you want people who are experienced who come in they hit the pose they know what they're doing well and you can talk about balance and you can talk about right. you know I mean that's valuable yeah. right. for that right. But, but if, the, if some of the poses that I put models in, they would like art school models would be like, I'm not doing that. You know, you're crazy. So you want people who my, don't know enough yeah, right. to We're, say no. See, we just broadcast. Now, whole things. No, no, it's not that. It's more about more about not having a um, a set uh, a conception of what's right. expected of them. Right? So how does that I work? Prefer- like when they, you have them come into your studio, like what, what does that look like? Do you have them just kind of get up on the model stand and kind of stand there and you don't say anything or? No, I just, no, actually I talk a lot when uh-huh. I work. So it's the opposite. I'll just have them walk around. It, this, this was an interesting, I think Rodan hit on something really key. I learned, this is one of the most important things I learned from him. One of the things he would do is he would have models in his studio all day and they would just walk around naked. It sounds really weird to mm-hmm. us, but actually it's very, if you think about it, it's really similar to the way the Greeks learned, right? Because the, oh, yeah. the Greeks did not learn anatomy. Yeah. There was no anatomy. That would, have, that would have been forbidden. They wouldn't dissect bodies back then. So there was no anatomy. They, what, but what they did was look at a lot of it's naked pure, bodies. I mean, right. they were looking, I mean, gymnasium means what? Naked, the naked, it's the, where the naked people exercise, mm-hmm. right? A gymnosophist is a naked philosopher, right? <laughs> so that's how we they... both looked at each other like, that, that's that what they would do. Like, <laughs> I'm Googling right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Google so that, the, please. So, the, so, the, so the, thing, the Olympics, they were all naked. Yeah, so right. they would see when they, were, when they were in the gymnasium, gymnasium literally means the naked arena, basically. God, right? how things so, have changed. Yeah. <laughs> For the worse. <laughs> well, maybe not. I don't know. Depends, yeah, on, depends where your depends gym Depends on where your gym is. <laughs> um, but, uh, Square dancing. Yeah, we should go so to Brazil. Different. Maybe the Brazil. <laughs> um, so you just but, have but, a model walking around your studio. Right. So, so that's what I think, that's, that, that stuck with me, like thinking about that, that continuum of mm-hmm. how, the, how the Greeks thought about the body. Mm-hmm. Right and how Rodan thought about the body, and I think Michelangelo did something very similar. Actually, I think we've we've sort of placed another a template on what he did mm-hmm. um, because we know he, they didn't know anatomy. He was making it up. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He wasn't. He, he had, well, he, he was. He had muscles on top of muscles. Right. He wasn't taking a textbook out. He was. But he, he was, was going, dissecting, wasn't right, he? Right, but that's not a na- like. That's he was trying to figure it out. Leonardo right, but, was but, doing what, more of the dissecting. I, think. I thought no, Michelangelo did, did they both as did. well. No, no, yeah, they both did, but that's yeah. not the same thing. Like, he, nobody was there saying him this is saying him this is the sartorius. Well, muscle. he was trying to figure out what the sartorius is. Right, right? Exactly. He was like he peeling was, the skin off a leg and being like, "This thing is awesome. I want to draw <laughs> right, that." Right, but he he was trying to figure out what he was seeing. Right, right. He was. It's not the same. Like anatomy is something is something that's already codified. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. The, see, there wasn't that kind of codification. Well, it was, was like if you never observing. read an anatomy. But, I mean, it was the way you taught yourself sculpture. I taught Precisely. myself waves. Right. Precisely. Precisely. So, so that that always always was in my head, and it's entered into my process because when I have the model in the studio, 
they, initially they're always uncomfortable because like, what do you want? Because because they're they say, well, what do you want me to do? And I, say, mm-hmm. I don't know. Let's see. Well, and they're like, but I need to know what to do. And I said, no, we'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. Just like just just walk, and just walk around because everybody has characteristic uh, gestures, right, yeah. mannerisms, ways of turning their head, ways of, of looking. When they speak, they, they move differently than when they're silent. When they're hold- and see that's yeah. like holding still on a model stand is the most is really unnatural. Yeah, yeah. Right. So my method is to is to is to is an act of discovery. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to see what comes from the interaction with the person, uh, because I think nature is way more diverse than our imaginations right. sure. will ever be. Right? You can if you start you know you have enough of an understanding of the body that you could draw a figure out of your head. Right? Yeah. How many could you draw? Could you draw five billion? I don't know. I mean, it'd be. Hard I'm gonna to say do. I'm gonna run out of time. You're gonna run out I, of time. I think I could do three. But nature is nature's How diversity much are you is. <laughs> you run out of money before time, I think. Um, so, are you sketching while this person is walking some, around your studio, some, or like, are you just setting up an armature? Like, how? Do, I mean, no, the armatures. The armature is generally done after. I mean, it's after the after I figure out what I'm going to be doing. Sometimes I'll draw, but or I'll make a little tiny sketching clay. But mm-hmm. that's mostly for setting up the armature. Like, mm-hmm. if I once I get once I figure out the pose and everything, I may do a, a, a maquette size thing. So that when they're gone, I can make the armature while right. being there, right? Because it's Are, a waste of money to pay yeah, someone to stand yeah. there the, for the six hours. The uncut. Is the it's inter- the wire it's underneath. The wire. Okay. Yeah, it's the internal structure. It's like that the holds skeleton. The clay. Okay. Yeah, it's like a skeleton for, for clay. clay. For clay. <laughs> it's a so, skeleton for clay. Yeah. So are you ever? I mean. Are you ever just like, ah, look, I'm going to have them do what they do, but I know what I want in my head before they got here. I had this idea. No, I never. So you really keep it Oh, open. no, I never. I never have. Mm-hmm. Except I, for I, choosing the model. No, I, right. Yeah, choosing the model. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a bit. But even then, sort of. even then, you know, it's, it's, people surprise you, you know. So I don't, I kind of, I try to be com- kind of open about that. But although, obviously, there are a limited number of people who want to come to your studio and take off their clothes for <laughs> the amount of money that Maybe they're Maybe they're for you. But, uh. <laughs> well, there's a limit. There's a limit. Um, but I don't, I don't, um, yeah, I don't have a preconceived notion of what the pose will be. I have a framework. Everybody has a framework. Sure. Right? So it's not as if it's completely open, like posing there and I'm, you know, cutting wood, you know, and making like a little house, you know, <laughs> they do gingerbread. Right. I'm yeah. working with gingerbread while you're just walk around, just yeah. walk around. I got, I got some right. candy canes right. here. So there's obviously a framework. Otherwise, so that, so the model is essential for discovering where within that framework I'm going to go. Right. So no, no, I never, in fact, I've always found that there have been a few instances where I started a piece with a model. And then they, for a number, whatever reason they leave or it couldn't work again or right. And then I try to get somebody else in to do the pose. And, and they never and works. It never, oh, yeah, it yeah, never yeah. ever works, right? I mean, you can, there are people that I know that can do that, but they're working from an internal schema. And I'm trying to develop a, a, a schema that's from the model, right? That's, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's right? a very personal, yeah. personal yeah. experience. Yeah. I think that's a right. big yeah. mistake a lot of people make is trying to set a model in a pose well, in an idea that they have and it always becomes, I mean, perhaps, unless you the hit on it luckily, but often it's just not natural that person's body right. and gesture and then you're trying to fit them in a box that they don't fit in. Perhaps, yeah, I think, but although I will say, um, this is just my method. I don't think there's any right way. I think, yeah, yeah. I think there, I mean, I don't know, I agree with you that a lot of people fall into that trap, but I don't think, 
there are people who don't who successfully do that who I already have an idea yeah. and then they you know they they just they need a model for a little bit of reference and then they go so it depends on the artist i don't i think you have to know yourself though and i think you have to know what your intentions are and whether your methodologies are moving in the direction of your intentions mm. if your line of inquiry is to 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 use nature as your as your starting point then like let nature be your guide mm. you know instead of trying to tell nature what to do so i think it really depends on your intent your artistic intentions i don't think there's one right or wrong way but i know for myself when i got out of school i this was the biggest frustration for me because i kept thinking why well, don't i have an idea you know there is you the i the ideas come through making meaning yeah, yeah. I, I i this is my mantra meaning comes through making not the other way around you don't have right you don't you don't you don't have the meaning of the thing and then go make it Right, you might as well. That's conceptual. That's conceptual that, art, and it seems like I hear more of that than anything else these days. Is is meaning, and then you go, you know, make it. Mm, well, I don't know. I at mean, least, I think I don't know. It's, I mean, it's the some thing I some hear people. A lot. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I think that's a. I mean, we're talking about the difference between the concept of a work and the process by which it's made. I'm talking about the process by which it's made, mm -hmm. right? So. But you're um, saying whether the, the concept comes out of the process. Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah, precisely. So the, so when I have the model there, um, the ideas are emerging through right. the experience. And that's what I love. And that's, that's the fun the part. Most so fun part. That means By you have to be engaged the, the whole time. Like oh, yeah. We're talking. Engaged. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very much. Are yeah. you just watching then? If you're not sketching, if you're not drawing, you're yeah. just kind of watching this person yeah. walk yeah. around you? Yeah. Or we'll try. I oftentimes just try a pose. Say, well, why don't you? You know, put your hands over your head or do whatever, mm -hmm. you know, or right. they'll do a, do something like a particular movement. I'll say, oh, stop right there. That's interesting. And then we'll just move parts around. Mm -hmm. and, right. And eventually within a day or two, I get a pose or get an idea and start from there. And, and sometimes it will adapt too. in other words, initially yeah, I, say, I can have an initial. Does it ever yeah. move mm -hmm. and yeah. slightly change sure. into a, sure. a slightly I mean, I, from the pieces that are in the upcoming show, I could give you examples of that where I didn't know what it was about. I didn't know. I knew there was, I, there was a core sense that something was right about it right but then i thought i don't know what i'm doing like why is she doing this right and yeah. then it comes to me later and, and then it evolves and evolving it. right yeah. and once it's beyond that stage it's really difficult i heard i heard i think it was eric fischel said that like when he like once he knows what the painting's about like once he knows everything's going to be and you know, it's about what it's about He's got it. He has to finish it within a certain time frame because, he, like, it's just hard to maintain the momentum. Mm -hmm. And I totally understand that. With sculpture, of course, you have all these other processes you have yeah. to go through. But yeah, how once, do you? <laughs> once, but those are but those are technical things. Once right. the once the modeling, once I once I know what the pose is going to be, right, and I have the model there for all of the particular qualities that I want to capture, right, it goes pretty fast. But it's a long I mean, haul. Isn't it? I mean, the through, well, or through the whole start, thing we'll and just, then casting. And well, just the clay so, part first before we run into so for, the casting. Yeah, so, so for half life-size, like? for half life-size, you mean time-wise? Yeah, when all of a sudden you you kind of got, you have the idea, you're engaged, you're kind of moving forward with it. Yeah. Like how much time are you putting in really pushing the clay Yeah, okay, yeah, having right. Having a model right, there right, or not right. there. So I would say for half, for half the pieces in the show that we're going to be discussing, it's their half-life. And by the way, I was just going to, we're going to mention it, but you do have a show coming up in april beginning right. of april in new york city and we'll mention all of that but it's um, okay yeah yeah so that's what i'm referencing you know, yeah. people can see, mm -hmm. see that work um they can go and google it or go on my website or whatever mm -hmm. um 
so those half life size pieces, I'm generally spending two to 10 days with the model. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then probably another like 10 to 14 days without the model mm -hmm. cleaning, finishing it up, just cleaning, like taking care of some details and so forth. So it's between 40 and 70 hours total, mm -hmm. right. On, on the clay. Um, and then we go into production you know, yeah. and the production is the, That's is the part where you need an assistant and, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, yeah, a lot of, yeah, or you have money to pay some <laughs> right? So, yeah, so the, 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 that creative end of it is really front-loaded. Um, there's a little bit at the end in terms of making decisions about the bronze and patina and that sort of right. thing, presentation. That sounds pretty really badass. Yeah. Which part? The, the whole patina, the patina. we'll get to that. I, it's not as badass you. as it looks, but... Yeah, but well, it see the it photos with you with blow torches yeah. and, like, and acid, metal. Yeah. 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 It's awesome. It looks yeah. badass. It does look badass, but it's a, it's a bit of a show, though. So generally, do you know, um, at, you're like, okay, I'm finished. I'm finished with the clay now. I need to move yeah. forward. Yeah, because the... the Oh, yeah, that's a good question. And th this is a common thing, right? Artists, like, Artists how, say, do you know how do you know when you're done? done? Yeah. Yeah. You run out of time, basically, right? <laughs> no, it's not that. But it's, it's more, I know, I know pretty early on when I've got it, right? Once I, once I, have the, once I know the proportions, the pose, the gesture, the, the, the qualities that I'm trying to capture and the character that it's emanating, then I, then it's pretty quick. It goes fast. Mm. Yeah, I, I finished, I, I kind of know, and I've got it, I just get it done. Um, so, and part of that is that I know how much production is coming up, but it's really, I'm not, I'm not a, uh, even though there's a lot of detail to what I do in some respects, I'm not a hyper realist, right? I'm not putting skin texture and all of that. So mm -hmm. it's not laborious at that point. Why it's not? Pretty much, I don't think it has anything to do with what I'm, what I'm what doing. After. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I, and I'm not dismissing that because right. I think that that works really interesting. Um, that has a lot to do with perception and our ideas of perception of what a body is mm -hmm. and how, yeah, you know, cause it doesn't really look like skin texture. I mean, if you ever look at them, they're, they're exaggerations of skin texture. Yeah. They're like, they're like the sculptural version of photorealism, which is hyper, it's a hyper realism. Right. So, but that doesn't have anything to do with what I'm doing. I'm more interested in compositional things, right. And the way in which form, uh, form conveys an idea. Mm -hmm. Um, and form, form and, um, uh, uh, gesture have psychological content. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. And those things, those other things could be distractions from that. Right. So, right. Yeah. so I, and this is, this is again, getting back to what we were talking about earlier and choosing a language. It's when you, you, when you have something to say, knowing what the appropriate language is right. and what is unnecessary. Right. And that's, that's the biggest thing for maturity is just like peeling away the things that are unnecessary right. for what you want to say, what you want to do. Yeah. Uh, and it's tempting to want to do those things because they're kind of attractive, but they're not, they're not really necessary. Well, it seems like a fun kind of like to try and figure out how to do that. seems like it'd be oh, yeah. awfully fun. And, and I mean, I've seen, there's a, uh, a great Bernini portrait at mm. the uh, National Gallery in DC mm -hmm. yep. Yep. and the texture, the, the way that he gets the highlights on the nose versus kind of a little bit more porous on the cheeks and the, I mean, it's so, and then the, the facial hair is so beautifully designed. I mean, it's nothing like mm. anybody's you know, mustache or beard actually looks, right. but so beautifully designed and so incredible. I mean, like, 
but then the textures, the way that the light glances sure. off the forehead is sure. different from the cheek or the nose. I mean, sure. that I think it's amazing. It is amazing, and it's but it's but it's equally amazing if you see some of the what the hyperrealists are doing today in 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 taking very different materials mm-hmm. and transforming them in a different way. Mm-hmm. It's all it's. All, Do you mean like it, the Ron Muex? Yeah, Ron Muex. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he works yeah. in like fiberglass or something like that. Some fiberglass, some silicone. I mean, there are a lot of them. They're doing a lot of great people doing. Evan Penny's doing really interesting work with all of that. Some um, of it's incredibly realistic. Well, but see, that's the thing. Is it? See, see, we're talking about Bernini, right? We say, oh, it's so realistic. No, it's a block of marble. Right. Right. It's it's all. You know, well, it's not realistic. It's, not, it's not, beautifully that's designed. Not, that's I mean, it's real. right. I mean, yeah. Right. Something I mean, like Bernini isn't realistic to me. It's just. It's, well, it is, and it, it isn't. is kind of. Yeah, it is. but I it's. Agree with that. You see, what's here's the thing. It I mean, looks like it has a soul. That's the point. And, right. And that's, that's the point. So you could say that's, that's realistic. Yeah. I don't sit there and say, oh, if I saw that sculpture walking, right. I'd be like, I wouldn't notice because right. it looks like a regular person. Right. I would be like, that doesn't look like a human being. Right. But there's soul in that. Market. Absolutely, and and I think no, I think that's the key thing. I think what you said is exactly right. The. Um, it's all illusion in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. It's, 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 you're using, again, you're using formal characteristics to convey an idea. And so what is a portrait? A portrait, a portrait isn't, a portrait is a, is a, is a likeness of personality, not as, as much as it is the character, the physical right. characteristics, right? right. Yeah. Um, that's why a portrait can be something that isn't, isn't isn't rendered in a precise way and right. still carry still the character of so a human much being life to it right right i mean so, the photograph is very uh, uh, unbelievably realistic but it doesn't a lot of times doesn't seem like it has life right. uh, a van dyke portrait looks like it's gonna walk yeah. off the canvas right but this is this is an ephemeral thing isn't it yeah. because how do you grasp what those characteristics are you know, because skill is skill is a skill is a kind of a relative term in that regard, yeah, right? Yeah. There can be, you can have um, portraits that are very pared down and very little inform- visual information based on on um, what te- the templates we have in our mind that come from photography, mm-hmm. and yet can, yet carry so much so much of the character of the person in that in that portrait sure, so it's not just sure. and we're talking about portraiture but this is really about any kind of form and, right this I mean, this can translate to anything right right, right. so audience. so for me that's the key thing and that's why i don't like those those particular m- methods are not ones that i would pursue i mean at this point it would be it would be a sidetrack for yeah, me yeah yeah um and I think, that, but I, that's a whole other discussion. I think there's some amazing things being done in sculpture today. I think it's actually one of the most exciting periods of sculpture in, in a very, really? very, very long time. Oh yeah, absolutely. I don't think there's any question. There's so many. There are so many interesting, inter- interesting things being done. If you just look up contemporary sculpture, sculpture. not just figurative sculpture, just in general, there's so many yeah, there's... great things being done. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I th- so, but that's a different. Those are all. It's tempting. You know how it is when you some you look you at other people's work and you're like, like I yeah, do yeah. It. their work's so much more interesting. <laughs> but it's because you're steeped in it. You know, yeah, you're 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 like doing the same. You're doing similar things with each piece, and you know, I'm sure they're doing the same. You know, they're looking at other people's yeah. work, saying, well, "Why am I doing the skin texture?" Again? <laughs> you know, but uh, anyway, I look at that. I look at um, those artists a lot, but only because I think they are. They're exploring. They're exploring um, content that I think is 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 speaking to contemporary people, and that's that's the most important thing. Yeah. I mean, you can make beautiful things, but it doesn't speak to people. 
what's the point? You know, it has to speak to people. It has to speak, you know, it has to be in dialogue with its peers. Mm -hmm. You know, I want my work to be in dialogue with my, with my peers in the art world, whatever they may be doing. And hopefully I'm achieving that. Uh, but I, so, so for me, it's a very, the way I, the way I work with, with models is a very anti establishment way you know i don't do it the way uh, you're supposed so, to do it i'm putting well, yeah, exactly the way you're supposed to do it there is no supposed to I, yeah there's no rule the textbook yeah. right. what you're so yeah. how you're supposed exactly. to do it yeah right. so so and it, it's this is it's important for my method because um because i'm interested in capturing um characteristics of a model that are con going to convey um psychological experiences that contemporary people can relate to mm -hmm. hopefully that's what i'm that's at least where i'm going yeah. um and i also and the other here's the other aspect of it that that i wanted to talk about and this is maybe even more important than the first part which is that i don't i i want i'm doing all female figures right now and it's any but any kind of model i'd be using i want the figures to have a sense of agency so they're they're not just a template for my, they're not just a container for my ideas. Mm -hmm. Like I want them to have a sense of interaction with the viewer. Mm -hmm. And with me, it's important to set that up. So there's a little bit of a shift in power. So that, that tension between the artist dictating what to do and the model having limits pushing to back it, a little pushing bit. back a little bit. Yeah, I want that sense of agency to come through mm -hmm. the pieces. And if I didn't have, I think that the, my procedure is going is either going to help me get there or or prevent me from getting there, and that's why I, I do it the way I do. Mm -hmm. um, and hopefully, I mean, I don't know. People can judge for themselves that they look at the pieces and say, "Well, you failed." Okay, fine. But that's what I'm. That's my interest in in using models. I don't. I'm not. Fa I'm not at all interested in saying I'm going to do a Venus today, and you need to be Venus. Yeah. <laughs> you know, take on the character. It's not my. That's not my thing. You're in the. You're in, a, in the presence of a living being that has all of these other things going on in their head that you don't have access to. Mm -hmm. And no matter who they are, there's, if there's no sense of the, the, the tension between two human beings or the, the reciprocation between two human beings, you're missing something in the experience as an artist. Mm -hmm. You've just, then you have objectified. You've just said, no, they're just like, they're just still life over there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Literally the still life, yeah. like do not move. Right. And I'm yeah. the opposite. I'm like, move. You can keep moving. They always, I mean, my, the models are always so worried about it. Like, mm -hmm. I, I think I moved. Am I moving Don't worry too about much? It. Like, no, nah, you can I, move. I, I said, keep moving. Yeah. Like, keep moving. It doesn't matter. Like, if your arms drop, then maybe I'll get a better idea. Right? So I don't. I, and with the clay, you can move, you can move the clay around for a while a before you can. Like, well, I use plastiline, so so I can move it. I can. So what's move the difference between plastiline? Oil, oil based. It's oil, oil based. So oil -based it won't dry. Right, correct. So right. you don't have to cover it up and spray it down. Correct. And correct. Is there That's, a difference so in can, handling? Yeah, I was going to say much, how, yeah. how long can it be exposed to the air before it really starts stiffening? I can indefinitely. Really? No, it, yeah. It's it's mostly my my choice of that is mostly practical because I'm such a I'm so busy. It actually started out because I was my life was segmented in so, into so many things. I was teaching um, far away from where I was living, so I would leave things for a few days, and then I would the weeks would go by sometimes because I was doing other things. And then, so I started using oil-based clay because I didn't want to have to maintain it. I didn't have right. a studio assistant at the time, and I just got used to it. And it's and you know you, 
there, only bad artists blame their materials, is right? There a, so uh, is there a, I, a, I learned to make it make make it work, make it even work. though I didn't like it at first. Yeah. So um, is, is there a disadvantage to working with plasticine? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a disadvantage and an advantage to everything, mm -hmm. right? So the, the disadvantage is that it has a it has a consistency that at the beginning can be a little bit difficult to manage. Um, and, and it also, it also, and at the very end has a consistency that can be difficult to finish depending on what your finish is going to be. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I, I think of, this is advice for people who sculpt out there. Don't try to think of plastiline as, as, uh, as any, something similar to water-based clay. Think of it more like wax. It's actually more similar to working in wax than it is to working in water clay. Mm -hmm. Water clay, the, the, the plasticity of water clay is dependent on its moisture content. Mm -hmm. The plasticity of plastiline is based on its temperature, mm -hmm. which is the way wax is. Yeah. So it's actually more similar to that. It's sort of a hybrid between the two. But because it's guided, its plasticity is determined by temperature, it helps to conceptualize it that way. Because otherwise you get frustrated with it. You're like, right. this isn't doing what water clay is. Well, no, it's not the same thing. So are so, you less productive in the winter? <laughs> uh, no, I have a heater. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> it's actually more difficult in the summer. Because then it oh, gets like, because then it just stays, because yeah. then it just stays right. sticky, right? Yeah, I was going to say, can't get it to set. Yeah, that can be horrible. That can be <laughs> really miserable, actually. So when but, you get to the point where you're like, boom, I did it, clay's done, everything clay is done, move mm -hmm. this forward to the next stage. Right. What I guess a lot of people don't realize is, and, and you tell me, because um, most sculptors I've met at mm -hmm. this point are sort of hands off. Meaning yeah, that's true. Yeah, we're like, I okay, I did what I did. I now I send it to whether it's assistants or other right. artisans that do this part from this point forward, which is right. the you know the M mold and the cast molding, the casting, yeah. whether and right. then you know in, in your case right. you're you're mostly casting in or bronze, bronze. Yeah. So, so you do that. Yeah, but that's I, which is kind of rare. It is very rare, but that was also out of necessity. I, uh, so I, my ideal is that, that is to have us, you know, four assistants who would do everything. <laughs> do all after, that stuff, yeah. Although I would, are there advantages I, to control, like owning the process? It's less expensive. Um, I mean, but there, there is a control. Like, there is a control aspect to it. I, mm -hmm. I, mean, I think it depends on the artist. This is another one of those things where I don't think there's a right or wrong way. Mm -hmm. It depends on the person, the kind of work that I do. I think it's really important that I know how to finish the bronze, and that I and that I that I am heavily involved in that process. So even if I, even if I, I have an assistant, I have a studio assistant, full-time studio assistant mm -hmm. now, and he does a lot of this for me, mm -hmm. but I'm always there. Like I prefer to have the control. I like to see it. I'm kind of particular about the way things are finished. Right. Um, and you know, it's not, it's on my pace. It's not the foundry production pace. They're just pushing it through whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, and that can be expensive. I mean, look, foundries can do great work, but you're going to pay for it. Right. right? Um, I mean, a life-size bronze is going to cost between fifteen and twenty thousand dollars to produce. Wow. So, I can't afford that right now. Right. Um, but I but I can afford to pay an assistant. He helps me. He's like, and he's he's good. He's yeah. Good. But but I I started out doing it mostly myself out of necessity because of the cost and. But most of the process is fairly mechanical until you get to the finishing. Yeah, I mean, even the finishing is like the patinas. I mean, it is a it is you know a fixed although. Well, patina, patina is a tough, uh, patina is the toughest part, I think. Right. Just because the variables are so 
so diverse. Can you describe what a patina is? Yeah, patina is the is the the alteration of the the um, the color of the bronze by chemical application. True mm-hmm. patina, it's not paint. It's not. It's changing the the color of the actual bronze by the application of heat and chem and chemicals. Mm-hmm. So that's and it's the 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 the, the possibilities are endless. Right. And that, now here, this is an interesting thing too. Patina is a fairly new thing. You know, they didn't have chemical patinas in the Renaissance. Right. I mean, most of this is from the 19th century. And a lot of the chemicals that we use today are after the 19th century. Some of them are very recent, yeah. the chemicals that are being used on um, for patination of bronze. And very, it's like there are a lot of creative things being done yeah. with it. I've seen Where, some, like with the acids and stuff that makes them pretty crazy. Well, they're, yeah, they're, I mean, they're different. There are some acids and some that aren't acid, depends on, you know, depends on the chemicals. But um, some are not true patinas. Some are like more... They adhere to the bronze, yeah. and then they will eventually, if they put outside, they will wear off. But and they also um, make different colors. It makes them metals, oh dramatically, oh like, yeah, amazing variety. Well, this of is what colors, yeah, this is what I was saying. The, not only the number of chemicals that you have that can change the color, the amount of heat that you use, mm. the combination of chemicals, the concentration of the chemicals, the way you apply it. Yeah. So you have all of these variables, and you have millions of possibilities. And it's not like painting. You 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 think you know, the chemicals green and you put it on and it's like why is it turning blue? So is it pretty <laughs> impossible your chem- your to get is too two strong. like additions that are exactly the same in terms of sure. the patina? Sure, yeah, it's possible, but it you know it takes a good pat pat in order to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it takes it takes somebody with a lot of experience to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's very difficult. I have a lot of respect for people who can do that well. So do you take notes on every? Like how you finish it just in case yes. down yeah. the road. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I write it down like what, you know, what the strength of the chemical was, mm-hmm. how hot I had it, um, you know, whether I sprayed it or brushed it on mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Just in case. Yeah. Um, but, but patinas vary. I mean, it's, it's okay. That's, I don't think that's, you know, I'm not, I think that you, as long as you have a range that, that you can do a piece within most clients are fine with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so for people who are, might be um, unfamiliar with the process, uh, yeah, a- after the clay, you, you then yeah, you okay. make a mold of it. Right. So let's just do the, like the, the very simplified yes. version for people who know nothing, right? Yeah. Okay. Bronze for dummies. Not necessarily. <laughs> <Bronze> the... <laughs> for dummies. <laughs> well, this is hard to do without visuals. That's the problem. I mean, That's it's so... a very, if you don't have a concept of it, it can be very difficult just to understand through through um, uh, a description without visuals, but and we'll throw some initi- visuals up on the okay. On yeah, the we can, yeah. I'll give you some stuff that you can yeah. um, oh, hopefully cool. help. Yeah, yeah, awesome. yeah. So, so the process that I'm using is lost wax casting, which goes back to you know ancient times. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you you you, you start out with a positive, which is the clay. Right. So we'll talk in terms of positive as a negative. Okay. So, okay. so the positive is the clay, and you make a mold over the clay, and most Contemporary, mo, well, most contemporary sculptors will use some sort of rubber, oh, right, uh, whether right, it's right. silicone or urethane or uh, polysulfide rubber. They, mm-hmm. That's what most contemporary sculptors use, um, primarily because it's 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 simpler and it's durable. Um, you can pull good waxes from it and multiple materials and, from it. Yeah. So, so you. I mean, this isn't just now. What I'm describing isn't just for bronze. This is. I'm going to talk about bronze, but it's essentially the same for whether mm-hmm. you're using resins or silicones or whatever as a casting material. You do a clay, that's the positive. You make a mold, which creates a negative impression that you take off of the positive. Mm-hmm. So you have a positive, then a negative. Into the mold, which is a hollow, uh, a hollow uh, negative of the, the original positive, 
you pour wax, and the wax has to be between 3 16 and a quarter of an inch thick. Thinner is a little bit better, not too much thicker, because um, then your bronze is going to be thick. Uh, so, that, so you make another positive. So you have a positive clay, negative mold, positive wax. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The wax at the foundry then is divided up into sections because they typically won't cast something in an entire they'll piece. They'll chop it right. up. Now, oh, here's the other thing I'm talking about. Yeah, they'll chop it up yeah. um, unless it's very small. We're also talking about uh, what I'm describing is ceramic shell lost wax casting, mm -hmm. which is a contemporary method. So from the on the wax, then they, they, they attach gating, which is where the bronze will be poured into. It's also wax. It's where the bronze will be poured into the into the mold. So on top of the positive wax, you make another mold. So another negative. Mm -hmm. The wax is melted out. And so what is have, this mold made of? That's the ceramic shell. Ceramic. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's like like we won't get into too many technical yeah, things there because mm -hmm. it, people will not understand. This is just let's right. just keep it positive, negative, okay. positive, negative. So you have a positive <laughs> clay, negative mold. Science. You have a positive wax, and then you make a negative in ceramic shell. It's another mold essentially. Right. And then into that is poured the bronze. So you have another positive. So mm -hmm. you have three stages of positives and two negatives. The, the ceramic shell is broken off and you have the raw bronze casting at the mm -hmm. end. So what I do, my particular process is I, I send out my waxes for casting. I don't pour them myself. I just, it's too time consuming to, to because of the way in which ceram ceramic shell is, is made, you have to be in production to be efficiently utilizing it. Um, because it has to be, has to be in a liquid suspension all the time. So, so in other words, I can't have a giant vat, vat of, of this stuff always. sitting there if I'm not <laughs> mm -hmm. in production. Right. It's just like for me, it would be very inefficient. Right. Um, so what I do is I make the molds. I pull my own waxes, rework the waxes, give them to the foundry. They gate them and pour them. And then I get the raw bronzes back. Mm -hmm. They're basically just cut up into lots of different sections. Right. Um, and then we, I weld them together. We use weld a TIG, together. Yeah, we use a TIG welder to weld weld them together and um, take weld them together and then chase the seams so they're finish them seamless so they're seamless right and are you getting multiple editions of each sculpture that you make typically six six um is but that, that about, can vary is that about the the limit uh if uh, can you do more oh you can or, do more yeah do you do it i on, could do but you, you do could, it kind of that's yeah what i prefer like. to i mean yeah. honestly i would prefer to do even smaller numbers yeah. um i mean if my prices if the prices start to go up for the work then i'll i'll reduce mm -hmm. this, the the addition size but really you I'm, I you hear that collectors pay hey yeah. <laughs> well i mean it makes sense right i mean if you're if you if you have a sh if let's Scarcity, say you have a, yeah yeah it's if you have a show of 10 pieces and they each cost you know five thousand dollars to produce you have fifty thousand dollars if you sell two of them and they're popular you need to sell those additions yeah, to right. make up for the ones that didn't sell, right? right? So, of course. Um, I mean, it's just a practical nature of making yeah. sculpture. I mean, yeah. You have to think on those terms. Yeah. But I don't. I I think the idea of doing a, a really high number or an unlimited number is ridiculous. Like people who do that, who just reproduce them over and over and over, makes no sense. You know, would you want to paint the same painting of fifty times? No. Yeah. No, of course I mean, not. if you could, if it was a popular painting, you may paint it three times. But yeah, you're not going to paint it like you're well, not going to paint it forever. If you can yeah. paint it once and then sell it fifty times, you might. Well, yeah, <laughs> that would be great. If I could do that with sculpture, that would be fantastic. But but when I mean, you, it, when it comes down to actual man hours, more man hours are going into the mold casting that mm -hmm. are going into the modeling. Right. So so. So the so you have to you have to I mean it's this is part of the business of doing it. Mm -hmm. um, it's one of the reasons. But however, saying all of this bronze casting 
in comparison to what it used to cost back, like, say, or how rare it was, say, back in the Renaissance, is cheap. Yeah. And, and you know, say an ex- a comparative example like marble carving is expensive comparatively now. To you know, so that 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 balance has shifted. I'm sure it's a lot easier to like, I don't know, melt bronze with like a modern oven or whatever you use to, as opposed to just like lighting a fire and keep throwing wood on until it gets hot enough. That's right, and and they also didn't they didn't have they didn't have standard uh, standards for alloys. Mm -hmm. I mean, now if you buy the like if you get the alloy, it's the same alloy that they're using in another foundry right. or, and I mean, some foundries do make their own alloys if, by per request. Mm-hmm. They usually charge more for that, but, but the, the, the materials are standardized. The, the processes are standardized. The technologies are better. I mean, the, the biggest change is welding. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can, uh, prior to, you know, uh, 30 years ago, you couldn't buy a TIG, like a TIG welder to put in your home. You know, so this really? was like a, no, that's that, that techn- technology's. I mean, for for you know, for the average person, that yeah, was yeah. Out of reach. meaning like that going, was out of reach. going to Hope yeah. Depot. I mean, you could do you could do gas shit. welding and all, but that's difficult, you know. Yeah. So so a lot of the techniques have become the technologies have made that made it a little easier for the average person. Mm-hmm. Um, so and but before that was much more difficult, and you know, prior to welding, they had to fit everything together and pin it, mm-hmm. and like, everything yeah. had to fit perfectly, and there had to be no seams visible because the the joints were absolutely perfect and pinned together and shaved down so you could see them do you very laborious yeah. when you get the um the bronzes back in pieces and you start welding them together mm-hmm. are you ever do you ever feel like um the result thus far is not what you wanted in the original clay um, or is it at that point you're like i'm good what's well, never i mean the results always unexpected because it's a different material. I mean, this is one of the this uh, any kind of reproductive sculpture, right? Sculpture that's um, or um, serialized sculpture. Okay, yeah. whatever method it is, whether it's bronze casting or silicone or plaster, yeah. any anything that's done through that method. And generally, most sculptors work that way. Whether it's you know, even if they're doing marble carving, they're making an original and then cutting it out of the marble. Very few people are working in direct materials with the kind of in the kind of work that I'm doing, yeah. representational work. Anything transformative like that, you have to you have to have a lot of experience in order to project what it might be. Right, right. That's a very. It, it would be like painting a painting yeah. in black and white and then sending it off to the processor and getting back. It's, oh, what the colors are all wrong. You know? <laughs> <laughs> What's going right. on? You know, I didn't expect this blue over here. Right. It's similar to that. I mean, not exactly. Um, and so it's actually more analogous to printmaking, right? Where you you make the image and then you run it through the press and it's and you're like it's flipped. backwards <laughs> why is this thing all everything's on the wrong somebody side. screwed up big time <laughs> so obviously so right so, so there's but that's part of that's part of the excitement of it yeah. too is that you know that feeling when you run something if you if you've done any printmaking whether etching yeah or, sometimes you get out or and you're like that looks dry cool. point or, looks yeah and it's just like it's it you know wow this is so much yeah so much better yeah. um but so obviously there was, experience, you, there, there was a surprise but it's experience fun. Yeah. called a happy accident in recording you guys have that we, in Bob Ross terms, we call it. Happy. Oh, really? <laughs> that's, a, that's a permeating term throughout. Along time. with happy little trees happy and little happy trees. mountains. Yeah, happy but there mountains. are also the very unhappy accidents that happen oh, in bronze casting too. And yeah, I, we, we have those yeah. in recording too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's it is a. Um, I mean, it is that transformation is something you have to embrace because I think if you don't embrace it, you're just going to be frustrated because you'll get it back. Well, first of all, it's going to be smaller because sure. it, it shrinks. Yeah. yeah um, so you, everything's going to change a little bit, and and I personally I embrace it because I think that you know that things look the, the the idea that the transformation can show you things you didn't expect 
can be kind of, you know, kind of interesting and yeah. enjoyable. So obviously, you know. experience really is important in this yeah. in this right. respect because um, the idea of thinking ahead, knowing it's going to be a little bit different, even sure. in the first initial stages of like sure. uh, pushing the clay around. But also knowing what the material can and can't do, right? Yes. And this is one. This is one of the I reasons mean, why important. I like bronze and why why bronze was eventually was the the medium that's made the most sense, or any kind of metal really. I mean, I may eventually cast in stainless steel or aluminum. I mean, there's there are other materials I would like to explore in the future. Yeah. But one of the things about bronze that's great is that, that it has very high tensile strength. So you can, like, for example, if you look on my website, you'll see there's one figure that's on her toes, right? There's no support. It's just on her toes. Yeah, I've, you I've can't do, do that, that with marble. No, yeah. you can't do that with marble. You could, Break. I mean, there are very few materials you can do that with. Um, you know, even resins, you know, you're pushing it. You'd have to have a really good structure inside, yeah. armature and strength. I wouldn't to hold do it, it in gold. Gold would fall. Gold over. would, yeah, gold would eventually fall. It would, yeah. like, it's not, it doesn't, it's too malleable. So bronze does permit certain you know, certain compositional choices. Um, and, you know, obviously you want to try to utilize that as much as possible. Uh, is there a material, the, is there a metal that you really want to start, try to work with, but it's either too expensive or just you haven't played with it? Heavy metal. Heavy metal. <laughs> Bronze is heavy enough if we have to go there. But, <laughs> While uh, you play Slayer no, in the, back, I, in the I, back as you're doing this? Eventually I would, you know, I would like to cast some things in aluminum or stainless aluminum. steel and carbon steel even. Well, carbon steel is really tough. Carbon though, fiber? Carbon fiber, <laughs> but no. isn't aluminum is aluminum relatively cheap? Yeah, but it's well the again the it's not the material it's the it's the it's the labor. It's really hard to get very clean clean castings in aluminum. I mean, uh -huh. there are founders that can do it, but yeah. um, welding it's more difficult. Casting mm -hmm. it's more difficult. It's actually much more difficult to cast than bronze. Oh, wow. Most founders charge more for that, and um, so. And stainless is, is hard because it's just hard. It's a hard yeah. material to finish. It's yeah. like much, much harder. Bronze is fairly malleable. And you can see why people like it because mm -hmm. it's, it's very versatile, malleable, but has tensile strength. It has all the right balances mm -hmm. um, so for, for metal. Who taught you how to, to weld? Is that something I, you just did on your own, or I did, did you go like watch you a couple videos on YouTube and you're <laughs> no, like, good, no, I'm I, set? No, <laughs> although I mean, I I think I could have done it that way, but no, I <laughs> yeah. I um I learned I did learn a lot of things that way. I I part of my my education, um, well, first of all, I, I when I was younger, when I was in high school, whatever, I I my family had construction businesses, and yeah. you know, I learned a lot of things like just tools. So I learned, did a little bit of welding, MIG welding. I didn't do any TIG welding back then, but we had a, my dad had a MIG welder. So I would like, you know, make my, my, like armor weld. plate your car. Yeah. <laughs> well, I had a Mustang. I had a 66 Mustang was my first car that I restored. And so I like, I'd learned to do some welding for that. So I learned, you know, there was, there were, I learned some things along the way and then you adapt, whatever. Um, it's not, TIG welding is fairly straightforward when it comes to bronze, silicon bronze casting. Silicon bronze is just like really easy to weld, um, so it's not yeah. too difficult. Yeah. Uh, with with a good TIG welder, it's pretty simple. Although the properties of bronze can be kind of finicky and a little bit unpredictable. So you, I mean, the actual making the weld isn't so hard, but when it starts to distort the metal, and you're like, oh, what's going on? And that's <laughs> so, but that's just a, that's just the the nature of the material, predicting where it's going to move and how it's going to shrink and distort and warp that sort of thing. So. It, so what you do, you also, um, I know you were talking about having uh, assistance mm -hmm. um, 
but you you were teaching at certain at some places. I think sure. you still teach workshops, and one of the workshops right. that mm-hmm. you do is in Rome. Right, 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 right. I'm glad work. you brought this up. Yeah, and um, Rome art workshops. Yeah, and yeah. I know a few people. You know, our our yeah. close close friend James Connolly. Went, yeah, he, he went the it, first year. Yeah, the first year. Yeah. So you're out in Rome yeah. for like six weeks, if I remember. Four weeks. We go. Four weeks. We go every summer. Four weeks. This start. This all started with my best friend Dave, Dave Simon. Dave Simon. Yeah, yeah. We started. Start. This will be our fourth year. Um, and what we do, all essentially... All John Pence is, people, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> We're all John Pence people. Well, he's not yeah. anymore, and I'm now was. with... He was. I'm now with uh, Bernaducci Mizell, so yeah. Lou's now my, my dealer. But, um, but yeah, we go back those, to those days, right? <laughs> the it's old, funny, yeah. yeah. So but I we, know your work originally. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. And that's David. Where, that's right, yep. Uh, so you do the so, Rome workshop in Rome with David and... Yeah, what we do is we... The whole idea started because I had a residency in Siena, I don't know, six years ago, five, six years ago. Oh, and, um, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. It, so I had this residency in Siena and Dave came over to visit for a week and we just kind of, um, we were just sitting around. We had hired a model. We're drawing and drinking wine. And I was like, you know, we should just rent a studio and invite our friends and do this every year. Just hang out in Italy. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it quickly became obvious that it's difficult for people to take off a month and not make any money. And, right. right. So we thought, well, what if we just like do workshops? We could, you know, we could rent the studios and invite people that we respect over time. We, we developed this idea and it's a long story, but we ended up doing it in Rome because of people that we know, connections that we, we had made. And mm-hmm. um, he lived in Rome for a year when he was in college. He went to RISD. And, uh, and one thing led to another, and we developed this program. And the idea is that we invite a number of artists to teach workshops, two-week workshops. Um, and we, we do tours of Rome and look at art. I mean, the tours is kind of a loose term because what we're really doing is sharing what we love about Rome. Mm. We're not like with a flag saying, and here's the Colosseum, right? <laughs> right. We're going and we go, we, you know, we'll go to... Andiamo, we'll go to Andiamo. Yeah, we'll go to Santa Maria Sopra Minerva and look at the Bernini and we'll talk mm-hmm. about we'll, out front and we'll go in and look at the Michelangelo's Risen Christ and we'll just talk about what we love about it. Right. And the painters will go to, you know, we'll go and look at Caravaggio's and yeah, the painters yeah. are talking about painting and, and then painting in the afternoon and in the studio. Studio. That it's sounds pretty perfect. Yeah, it's a great balance. Great balance, and we have so everybody and everybody goes out for dinner at night yeah. and has wine and uh, the food so sucks art, in Rome, but yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah, that's the one downer. You know, the food <laughs> is just a, a bummer. I, uh, if they just had more gelato, it would yeah. be all right. The chef that we interviewed, Nick Andrew, gave me. He goes his, his restaurant in New York is a Roman. He's got two Roman restaurants mm-hmm. in New York, so he does menu research every year in Rome. In and Rome? he gave me a list of like the menu the, research. Like yeah, exactly. But he gave me the, yeah the best yeah. like and like a lot of so like good. just places you would never find but yeah. are like amazing it's, yeah 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 that's and yes and we've been going there for a while now so we know we know a lot of those spots yeah yeah i don't want to give them away too so you're, no no i guess yeah, yeah. <laughs> people will show up now, i do have a few favorites though but that's um we'll have to compare notes later yeah we'll compare <laughs> notes uh so you're doing it but, again th- this summer yeah we'll do it this summer we have we have uh so i myself and david were teaching a figure sculpture class sean cheatham is teaching a painting class mark trujillo is another la-based painter those three guys are all LA based. Uh, he's teaching a painting class. Alyssa Monks is teaching a painting class. Uh, Hollis Dunlap is teaching a painting class. In the second session, uh, Daniel Sprick will be there. Michael Burke. Uh, it's a great group. Oh, yeah. Alex Oliver from Brazil. Yeah. He's going to be teaching a portrait sculpture class. 
hopefully I didn't forget anybody. They're all gonna <laughs> somebody's gonna call me up. So yeah, no, I to plug my good. workshop. No, but I think that's everybody. We, it's so a great group. It's, it's fantastic. It's, so there, the the group isn't necessarily going. Okay, this week you guys are painting, and then next no, week you guys. No. it's like there are people who go there for just that one person. for you. Yeah, right. And correct. then other people go correct. for Shantidam or correct. or something. Yeah, else. and we and all the studios are contiguous, so it's not as so if you we're can kind of go. Yeah, people people go in and say, hey, let's see what Sean's class is doing, and they're all painting, and then they come and see what the sculpture crazy sculptors are doing um and uh and then we then we but we'll do all of the tours type stuff together so we'll all go to you know the borghese or you know or um you know to the Capitoline and look at painting sculpture and talk about them and it's a it's a great way to to um to experience art and uh and have an ongoing dialogue for two weeks with other artists and we get people from all around the world we've had people from you know, basically, every, we've hit every continent now. So, we've had people from Africa, Australia, New Zealand, um, Singapore, Russia, yeah. all over Europe, United States, Canada, Mexico, Brazil. But obviously, Ecuador. Like, yeah, it's an opportunity for somebody to come and work with you. I mean, yeah. it's yeah. you know, I, I've I've not sculpted with you, but you know, let's do it. I've heard, come to Rome and sculpt <laughs> with me. What I've heard is that it's it, you're just you're an amazing teacher. Oh, thank you. Really, thank you. Um, you really know your stuff. Yeah, and and it's fun to just be talking art for two weeks yeah, with people, you know. Sure. People, because part of it is that they, it's not just a, it's not just a rigid formal class all the time. People want to, they want to like pick your brain when you're when you're out, you know, sure. having a meal and and talk about, you know, what is it that you, you know, what is your works about and that sort of thing. So, so it's, what, a, it's what, a great what's, time. What's the website on that? Is it Rome? It's just romeartworkshops.com. Workshop, right? So you yep. can just Google. What's that. your website? brianboothcraig.com easy to remember <laughs> I picked the easy I, did, I keep it as simple as possible um, and then but the, the, the Rome workshops just so you, uh, I should plug the dates as well it's the yeah. first session is June 13 to 24 and the second sec- session is June 26 to was that July 11th no I've I just like flew out of my head. Two weeks or two. Go weeks. to the website. Yeah, go to the website. Figure it out. Is it a yeah. limited June amount? and July. Yeah. Limited amount of people. So right. All the workshops have a have a have cap on them. Cap so on so get on uh, that and definitely. Yeah, people need to people need to do it soon. The the deadline for registration is yeah. end of the end of March. So uh, and I think that's a really rare but really good opportunity to yeah. go to Rome to study with you know with a master sculptor and painters and Thank and you. also yeah. do the. Thank you. The, the, uh, the other things which we all talk about is like when we're all right. together as artists that's right is when we come up with some of the not only the best concept coolest mm-hmm. conversation you know yeah. one of the reasons why we even do this podcast is because of those experiences sure. Sure. of hanging out sure. and talking shop and you just never know where the yeah it's just like we were talking about go. Picasso and Sargent yeah. earlier you know standing like yeah. talking about things that we sh- a shared experience yeah. Yeah. standing in front of a Bernini you know, or Caravaggio or Michelangelo yeah. and it's it's really unique and uh, and it's, it's fun too it's it's really fun yeah, and we've had we've had a lot of returning students so it's, you know ho- hopefully it speaks to our success you <laughs> yeah know? repeat customers yeah repeat customers <laughs> time, right? uh, and and also repeat teachers um, yeah you know Sean Cheatham this will be his third year teaching with oh, us cool. and, and he's loved it so he's on board again and uh, yeah hopefully we can keep it keep it going yeah it's, no definitely we'll help yeah. the best we can so you have that going on and obviously the other big uh, event which mm. was you know hard to get you here in the first place because <laughs> yeah. you were I'm finishing up work. your steep like every time i text you you're like i'm knee deep in bronzing right we've now. talked yeah. about recording yeah. like a dozen times yeah, and i know that at to least call it off. i yeah. think at least a dozen times <laughs> for 
yeah, for I can't, over a I'm year. Bronzing, yeah. I'm bronzing, I'm bronzing, I'm <laughs> melting. I'm, yeah, so you have a show coming up, correct. and that's uh, April 7th through the 30th, and the um, the reception is uh, April 7th from 6 correct. to 8. Correct, And that's at the uh, Bernaducci... Uh, uh, my, Bernaducci Mizell. Yeah. Mizell, yep. that's it. 57th Bernad- Street. Yep. Bernaducci Mizell Gallery, 37 West 57th Street. And how many pieces are you going to have? I'll have I'll have twelve half life size bronzes, wow. Wow. and one one life size bronze. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot. That, <laughs> that's my you... plan is to have twelve life. And they're all female figures. figures. They're all female. Yeah, I have I have other figures that we con- we have some I have some self portraits already in bronze mm-hmm. that we contemplated, but we're going to keep it pretty simple. Keep it all you know, the female figures. The, for now, this for body of work is it the past year or two years or it's yeah, it stretched back no it's further. it's recent it's yeah recent. so yeah, so all yeah. the figures are from this kind of exploration that you're right. kind of currently or i correct. guess just finishing correct yeah yeah let me plug the uh the show again bernaducci mizell galleries uh it's april 7th to the mm-hmm. 30th and by the way i forgot to you actually the name of the show is internal variations yeah. figures and gestures very good <laughs> I like it. Thanks. And that's re- the reception is uh, April 7th, Correct. 6th to 8th. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thanks so much for coming so up much here. Thanks for having that me. That was an that's awesome fun. conversation. Yeah, super fun. And um, I really look forward to seeing your great sculptures in person. I'm a huge thanks. fan of your work. Thank you. So. Thank you. I look yeah. forward to seeing you guys there. Yeah. We're that's the last there. time you'll see me until, you know. And then, then you're off to Italy? Off to Italy, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yep. So Unless I'll be we jump like on a plane and, and go uh, Yeah, Yeah, you should come and visit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so much fun. You should come it's visit. So it's fun. a lot of, lot of, lot I of fun. I haven't been to Italy in a while. You, should, you were just I was there. just there. Mm. I'm always there. Lucky you. I'm going to um, plug a couple of quick workshops besides your your Rome, mm-hmm. your Rome workshop. Um, I'm teaching, well, both Ted and I are both teaching workshops at the Grand Central Atelier uh, from where we are recording as of right now in New York City um, Queens, mine, New York Queens, New York mine is July 11th to the 15th it's a it's a still life workshop um, they're always awesome so you need to come to that uh, Ted is doing a rave work- reviews always always they're always <laughs> awesome uh, Ted is doing a portrait sketch yeah painting? portrait sketch painting, painting. no or portraits both. so like quick portrait painting, painting sketch uh, and with Patrick Burns with Patrick Burns who's incredibly talented and a teacher here as and well. a teacher here at the Grand Central Atelier uh, mm. that's August 15th to the 19th I believe so yes, yes. it is correct um, awesome and then I'm also doing another workshop at the Bay, the Bay Area Classical Artist Atelier Baca! Baca in San Carlos, <laughs> California. That's right outside of San Francisco. And so. across the peninsula from Half Noon Bay. I've taught there a bunch, yeah, and I'm always hoping that Mavericks is going to be breaking when I'm there because I want to check that out, yeah. but never. Mavericks is a legendary giant wave yeah. spot in the Northern oh, California. Yeah. Um, if you're into painting waves, yeah, it's a big <laughs> one. But it's kind of far Way off, scared. isn't it? It's about a half mile out, I think. Can but you I, see it? I've you met, can I've see met. it from land, but you know it'd be nice to get on a boat and go yeah. out there. I mean, those are ma- the, I mean, those are massive. Yeah, yeah, it's I'd like to get close break. to that. Um, stay away from those. Myself. I think Kim doesn't Kim like Kogan like surf those or something like that. I don't know Does if he, he like surfs Mavericks. I, mean, I know he's a surfer, uh, but I don't ways. know if he surfs those. Anyway, I'm teaching a, a workshop there. I'm doing two workshops there. The first one I'm doing with the great. Great and Parish, and we're doing um, August eighth 
to the 26th. It's a long one. Graydon's doing the first half or like most of it, and then I come in at towards the tail end and sort of finish it off. But if you've never studied with Graydon, you should. He's he's brilliant with what he does. He is awesome. And um, and then I'm doing a solo still life uh, um, class after that one, which is August 22nd to the 26th. So that'll be really cool because I've never actually taught at Baca, and I heard it's uh, great. Yeah, You've, yeah. Everybody has except me. <laughs> You're the last man to like. Yeah. Last man to party. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, You're not alone. Brian Booth, Craig, and yeah. Tony Sir and I never, <laughs> never at Baca. But um, so those are the upcoming workshops. And Jay. Um, Keep going. I'm, just I'm good for now. Are you make? You're just making. I'm guitars. revving up. I'm revving up. Br- Brooklyn Instruments. Yeah, yeah. But next time. Okay. Get, and I got to give a shout out to uh, the very silent <laughs> Kelly Foss. What's up, Danger Kelly? What's up, Kelly? Kelly's been sitting here very silent in the corner. Say hi. Hi. There you go. <laughs> I have to give Kelly a shout out. She's going to be hopefully uh, on board with the suggested donation and helping us out when. Uh, I don't know if anybody can be on board with it. Oh, did you know oh, about the Mets? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just you know got about, a funny note. Do you know about the news uh, with with the Met has changed their poly, their door sign yeah. from recommended donation to suggested donation? Yeah. It was because of our podcast. It's because of our podcast. It's because they changed it. So we've made the times. Um, so spread the word on yeah. how important we are to the art world. Yeah. yeah. And that we change not only. We change policy. We change policy. We're affecting change. We change taste. You didn't change. That logo, you know, that's pretty. Yeah, <laughs> you see that? That's pretty bad. It hurts my eyes. Did they eyes. do a new logo? Yeah, it's yeah, terrible. Not the like the yeah, it's wait, but the old awesome like. No. Oh, yeah, yeah. You can't distinguish between the letters. They're yeah, they're squished together. together. It's they like had someone, such an awesome took, logo. I'm not gonna compete. Someone took a track. Someone took a track. <laughs> Someone took the track and, and like pushed. I can all wait so all day. And the, every, all the letters are super yeah. adjacent. Like there's no. Yeah, there's like, no distinguishing between the left and the right. Mark my words. Mark my words. That we're gonna change that as well. Yeah. That's the type of reach and power we have. That's how we roll. That's how we roll. All we right. roll hard and deep. We didn't deep. talk about it's a dangerous I job. Kid you, I kid you not. It looks like yeah. that. Like yeah. all the letters are like crushed. Yeah, that's exactly. Jay is showing me like yeah. a rough right. on a post-it of what the new logo looks like, it's and I'm not, I'm not like. Right. It's tragic. Thanks. Brian right. Booth, Craig. Thank pleasure. you, sir. It was yeah, you're really welcome. Great for Thank you for listening. Thank you for driving from yeah. the uh, from Mount Airy Lodge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to come and talk to Enjoy us. the heart shape. I was hot having tub. a nice hot tub and champagne bubble glass hot tub. And um, I interrupted all that pleasure. Yeah. But thank you so much for yeah. coming out. That was really, I think, Super a fun. Really great yeah. fun conversation. Yeah, you're and uh, look out for his show, and we'll see you all very I'll soon. I'll see you in a month. All, all right. Guys. That was a good one. All right, guys. Okay. Okay. Oh. Oh. It's like the skeleton. Okay. Yeah, it's like a skeleton. For clay. It's a skeleton for clay. Ted, is that a skeleton behind you?